All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Cornavotny, and I'm joined this week, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells, along with special guest host, Will Kalora, who joins us for the first installment of our annual NFL season preview series to help us break down the AFC East and the NFC East. There are many people who are loving the Bills' Super Bowl chances, and some who think the Jets could be playoff contenders this year. We'll give our thoughts on both of those teams heading into 2022 before debating whether or not the Patriots or the Dolphins more need their young former first-round quarterback to take the next step this year. On the NFC East side, we'll be focusing on the quarterbacks, as all four teams have a signal caller who's under a lot of pressure entering this season. We'll debate which one we believe is under the most pressure to succeed in 2022. For both divisions, we will throw out one new addition that we believe could have the biggest impact on how things play out this season, and we'll, of course, give a bold prediction for the division. From there, we will talk about some fantasy football bad draft picks over the years by us, other members of our league, just in general. That's a topic that uh, was chosen by our guest, Will Kalora, before also doing a guest-chosen top five countdown. Films the general public loves, but we do not. So with that, let's get started. No, I mean, I, I think you're fine. I really want to get the were. point across. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably going to happen at some point. but Put this now, in I the audio. Okay. Release this episode and have it start out just like this. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to He's Done It. <laughs> Who's that talking like uh, Gilbert Godfrey? <laughs> that, yeah. Okay. You guys know that meme where... Or like when you don't want to listen to someone, it's just like uh, it's that guy. Yeah, who's yeah. The, it's he's like yeah. a soccer coach, right? Yeah, it's gonna be like that when starting this episode, people start listening. All of a sudden, you just hear us shouting. <laughs> okay, well, I guess with that, we're we're getting into it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was gonna say, hey, it's the most wonderful time of the year, Brian, because NFL is basically back preseason games and you really know that football season starting because our annual NFL season preview is underway. It's great to be back to talk some football for sure and do these season previews. Yep. And uh joining us for our first one AFC East and NFC East, we have Will Kalora coming on for the second time after joining us in March. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Uh, we, we were just reminiscing on the fact that uh, the last time I was on, uh, we were announced, we were breaking news that uh, the Bills had just signed Von Miller. So uh, 
to like a 12 year, $230 million contract that only has like 20 million guaranteed or something ridiculous. And uh, I mean, I guess that's a good transition to get started because when you talk to the AFC East these days, it's the Buffalo Bills and everyone uh, has been pretty high on them. And uh, Vegas has them as the number one favorite to make it out of the AFC this season. Past two years, they've fallen short in Kansas City. But Coming in to 2022, do you guys believe that the Buffalo Bills, the uh, the longtime whipping boys of the AFC East, are now deserving to be the champions of the or to be the favorites to be the champions of the entire conference? There is a lot of competition throughout the AFC, and especially in the AFC West. But with that being said, I actually do believe the Buffalo Bills deserve to be the favorites in the AFC because they're one of the few teams in not just the AFC, but in the NFL that is elite on both sides of the ball. And now that Devonte and Tyreek are on different teams, I think you could say Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs are the best QB wide receiver combo in the NFL. And yes, they no longer have uh, Cole Beasley or, or Emmanuel Sanders, but Gabriel Davis really, had a great end to last season, especially that divisional round game where he scored four touchdowns. And then we saw Dawson Knox have a breakout year at, at the tight end position. He's not an elite tight end by any means, but he's definitely a solid tight end. They also signed Jamison Crowder, who could get some work in the slot, as well as Isaiah McKenzie. And I don't know how good he is or if if he's not great or if, or if he is good or not. If he had that, remember that fluke game he had versus New England in week 16 where he just destroyed us. Uh, see if he can have that kind of production more consistently. Uh, maybe not like that absurd production, but be a little bit more of a consistent receiver. And so I like their offense a lot. And when it comes to their defense, uh, take out that, that game in the divisional round versus KC. I still think they're one of the best defenses in the NFL. They Like, like you said, they added Von Miller, and they also drafted uh, clear... Uh, Kair Elam in the first round to help their secondary. That's already one of the best in the league. And who knows when they'll get Tredavious White back, but when they, if and when they get him back, he'll certainly help the defense even more. And they also have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer as the best safety tandem in the league. And so I, there's a lot to like about Buffalo still. And even with all the uh, improved teams in the AFC, I would actually still take Buffalo one uh, throughout the whole conference. Brian, I certainly agree with you there. I, I mean, you know, I, Corey, as you said, they're the Vegas favorites, and you know what that you know what that'll get them at the end of the season? Absolutely nothing. You, know, it, it, you got to get through the full season. Uh, you know, we saw last year the the Bills suffered that. Uh, you know, they were they were down Tre'Davious White for I want to say the majority of the season. I think he got uh, hurt he, in December. It was like right before that Patriots game, the first so, time around. Well, you know, they had him for the majority there. So you know, then so I take that back. But at the the same time, you, they weren't the same team without him. You know, the, you know, they, they, any team, you know, that's one of the reasons the NFL is such an awesome sport to watch is because, you know, who had the, who had the Cincinnati Bengals making it to in the playoffs last year, let alone winning the, uh, you know, winning the AFC. That's Definitely you know, no so, one so. on this podcast. <laughs> what are you talking about? I was so super high on Cincinnati. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I understand where the hype is with the bills. Probably not where I'd put my money, just because you know the, the you know they are the favorites. You know that's those aren't good odds when you when you're betting it, you know for the favorite. Uh, you know, and, and frankly, I think the Bills are quickly approaching the uh, 
the peak of the Sean McDermott uh, era. I think I think they're getting you know this is probably their last good run in it. They have one more uh, after this year. They are four point five million over the cap with a couple guys to re-sign. And you know Josh uh, Josh Allen's big contract kicks in. Stephon Diggs' contract kicks in. They're they're going to be in some trouble in the next couple of years. And you know, sure the cap you know cap can be you know maneuvered in a number of different ways. You can have you know someone like Von Miller's contract come off the books magically like it never existed. So that might be a one and done anyways. But you know th- this team truly is you know they're, they're borderline. You know they're about to get into some serious some serious issues. So in my opinion. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, this is probably their last, you know, before we see what just happened to Kansas city of a, a true gutting of the team and losing one of their, you know, their star assets. Uh, you know, I, I think this, I think this might be their best chance, uh, you know, before, uh, you know, a newcomer steps in as the, uh, you know, the AFC favorite. So the bills are definitely super robust this year. I think that you can make a case that they were last season. Uh, I'm not ready to say like, oh, this is their last chance. Like they have to win it this year, but they will be approaching a point where it's like, okay, when are you going to finally break through? Because the past two seasons, 2020 losing to the chiefs that year. I think some people were really high on them. I didn't fully believe in the bills. I thought they were still a year away last year. That game really could have gone either way. It ultimately came down to a coin toss in overtime. I and mean, both those offenses are on fire. Both of the defenses are struggling. And yes, I agree with you, Brian, even though that defense folded in 13 seconds, they're still an elite defense. And I also agree that the Bills should be the favorites, but by how much? I don't know. I think the AFC is, like you said, a loaded conference. You look at AFC North, AFC West have multiple teams that are right up there. Um, and then it, it it feels like the Bills should still be that number one team, but I I don't think that they're a lock yeah, I, by any means. I, I'm and not I, I'm not saying it's an overwhelming favorite, uh-huh. but if you're if you're forcing me to pick one, I would pick. I would say Buffalo would be the favorite. I'm not saying that I'm going to pick them out of the AFC to make the Super Bowl. I'm just saying they deserve to be the favorite. So I think um, what I'm really interested to see is how much some of their departures really kind of play a role because they didn't really add a ton. They brought in Von Miller to that big signing, but the only other free agency addition noteworthy that they made was they brought in Roger Saffold and that was after releasing longtime guard John Feliciano. I don't know if that's really an upgrade. I don't know if that's really going to be, be a huge hit to their offensive line. Uh, in the secondary, Levi Wallace, who's been a starter for four years, left in free agency. They're replacing with a first-round pick in Kyrie Elam, who in theory is going to be able to just you know step in right away. But there's also a, a tough transition from college to the NFL in terms of quarterback play. So that's something to watch for. Um, I, I think there are plenty of vulnerabilities. In the end, like you said, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs might be the best, uh, you know, the number one quarterback wide receiver duo in the league. So that that's still there. You still have Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde in the the back of the secondary if things really go wrong. There's still a ton of weapons. Tremaine Edmonds is one of the better middle linebackers in the league. So I do think that the Bills are deserving to be favorites. I understand why the public is gravitating toward them, but at the same time. I, I part of me they're is the worried about this. They team. never the won a exactly, Super Bowl, <laughs> right? And no, and there's plenty of reasons to be like, well, you know, if, what's going to stop them this year? Is it going to be Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs again, or is it going to be somebody else? Because that's kind of where it, it feels like we could be heading towards uh, with this team. 
On top of that, Corey, the, the you know, I mean, you mentioned that they still have Jordan Poyer. Uh, you know, their their secondary, I would say, is probably one of the best in the NFL. Uh, you know, they they you know, you you look at Micah Hyde, uh, Jordan Poyer, Tre'Davious White, those three alone. You know, that, that if you told me that was the AFC All Star, uh, you know, the the AFC Pro Bowl team, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Or you know, if they if that was you know the, your uh, you know your All Pro secondary. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I, I would be like, all right, you know, beat out a couple of guys, but all right, like it makes sense. You know, they're they're, they're elite talents. I, you know, so it's one of those things of you have a fantastic def- uh, You know, you have a, a star-studded offense, and you have a you know one of the be- you know one of the best defenses in the league. So I don't know. You know it's, it makes sense makes sense to be favored, but uh, you know, as as you guys pointed out, they're the Bills. Something will go wrong. Why? Because it's the Bills. <laughs> so I guess when you talk about like potential assets to lose, those two feel like the first names that come to mind, Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyde, both of them probably deserving of huge paydays. And the question is, can the Bills afford to pay either of them, let alone both of them? So um, that could be a spot that could uh, make things a little dicey for them moving forward. Um, but the Bills aren't the only team in the AFC East that's getting a lot of love. Maybe not Super Bowl love, but for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in the last decade, there are a lot of pundits that we've heard over the past few months who are really high on the New York Jets. Right after the draft, when they took four players with the first 34 picks, we had some analysts going as far as to say that they're not even the worst team in the division anymore. And we can kind of get to you know, who they would potentially be passing. But are you guys buying into the Jets at all after this offseason, thinking that, you know, maybe they're not necessarily a playoff team, but they could make some noise and actually be competitive bunch and not just the same old Jets? I think it's fair to say that the Jets can and very likely will improve on these past couple seasons just because, Really couldn't get much worse for the Jets, but they also uh, did have a good offseason, especially draft. And looking at their offense, they got Elijah Moore last year in the second round. He, he's certainly, uh, when he's healthy, because he, he was out parts of last season, when he's healthy, he's a good playmaker. And they added Garrett Wilson, who I'm sure will fit right in right away as a starting receiver alongside Elijah Moore. And they added Brees Hall in the backfield who will very likely be their starting running back. And then there are other, many other players that they've added in the offseason. I think I just, so the Jets, I still think they're going to finish last. Like, yes, they will very likely win more than two games, but I don't see them passing anyone in the division. And I think for me personally, it just comes down to, I just don't like Zach Wilson. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I was not a fan of the, the pick taking him second overall over, Guys like Fields and Trey Lance and Mac Jones and uh, or maybe well maybe Mac Jones is not physically gifted as Zach Wilson really but I don't know I'm just I'm not a Zach Wilson fan I I just I can't help but look back at that Week Two game versus New England where he threw four picks and then he was asked about like how do you bounce back from a from a from a, a game like that and he's just like yeah you just gotta just gotta pick yourself back up and get that mojo and swagger back. It's like, dude, you just threw four interceptions, <laughs> and you're talking about just getting that mojo and swagger back. And my my thoughts immediately after that were just like, this guy's not gonna last. And so even though they have plenty of weapons surrounding Zach Wilson, I'm just not the biggest believer in Zach Wilson, the quarterback. I will say the one thing going for him is uh, off the field. <laughs> I'm sure you guys yes. have heard heard the story uh, about uh. 
you know, how he likes to go after, uh, he's got the MILF narrative going for him. <laughs> so I, I guess I'll say, give him that. Yeah. But yeah, man, I love that, football. <laughs> I, I, Brian, I was going to say, I think he has all the swagger he needs off the field. Now true, true. Some of that swagger onto the field. Uh, but, you know, it, I, I guess, the you, know, the you know, everybody talking, oh, could this be the Jets' year? Like, you know, they'd make a huge leap. Do you, do you, does anybody see what happened to the Cincinnati Bengals last year happening to the Jets this year? You know, I think the biggest, the biggest difference is that uh, in the couple of games before uh, Joe Burrow went down, it went, you know, when he went down with the ACL injury, he looked – he looks like a capable quarterback. He looks like a, you know, he looked good. And Brian, as you pointed out, there were many times where I thought, you know, that, that you looked at Zach Wilson and you, you would have thought they spent a sixth round pick on him. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. he, you know and, and although I love their draft class, I thought they, you know, I thought they, 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 they had one of the best drafts we've seen in a, a very long time. It's, it's tough not to have a great draft when you have three picks in the top 26. It was painful uh, <laughs> talking about how, how much I liked the Jets draft and how much I didn't like the Patriots draft. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it, it truly is, you know, they, they went out and got the best corner, uh, best corner prospects the NFL has seen in a long time in Sauce Gardner, uh, an elite wide receiver weapon in uh, Garrett Wilson, adding to their defense again in the first round with Jermaine Johnson I don't agree with the uh, the Brees Hall pick. I, you know, I, I mean, frankly, you you I thought Michael Carter was a you know was a salvageable running back, and regardless, it's a running back. You can pick any any guy uh, you know in the in the draft, and they can be a serviceable uh, you know NFL running back. Uh, you know, that would probably you know people people are uh, are commending him them for the the Brees Hall pick. I don't know, probably you know I I don't think running back should be taken all that high, but if he comes out and is a Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift. Take I take it back, you know the, the, that'll 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 add another uh, another dimension to their you know to their offense. I think they're you know I, I don't think they're going to have the fourth overall pick this year, and it's you know I, I think they're going to be better than that. Uh, you know, at the, but at the end of the day, they're still a you know they're still a they're still, still below a average football away. team. They're still a quarterback away from being a <laughs> you know a, a playoff team, in my opinion. Uh, you, you're going to have to see a second year jump like you've never seen before out of Zach Wilson in order for that team to become a playoff team in my eyes. I just like how you worded that. They're a quarterback away from being a playoff team when they just took a quarterback <laughs> second overall. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of with you though. It's just like, I'm not a big Zach Wilson guy either. So. Zach Wilson. Didn't pass the eye test at all last year. You know, it was, no. it was one of those of like, I'm no, I'm no scout. I am no you know football expert, but he just, you know, there was something there that left more to be desired. Yeah, so my bold prediction for the AFC East last season was that Zach Wilson was going to lead the NFL in interceptions. And I don't think it happened because he missed time with injury. And when he was out, Mike White became like this overnight sensation. And there are a lot of questions about him and you know all these other quarterbacks that were playing there. Zach Wilson didn't get a ton of love last year. It was deserving. He had some really bad performances. He didn't have many great ones. And ultimately, he's going to be the difference maker in whether or not the Jets are an actual legit team or if they're just look good on paper, great off season, doesn't work out in the regular season. Because I, I really like what they did in the offseason. I mean, we've talked about the draft picks, even free agent signings. They added DJ Reed and uh, Jordan Whitehead to their secondary, both young, I think 24, 25 years old. So they're guys that have experience. Jordan Whitehead played a big role on a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that went to the Super Bowl, was very good last season. And DJ Reed comes over from Seattle. Both of those guys are going to kind of fit in and do in in theory, they're going to improve that secondary. 
They signed Lakin Tomlinson, who maybe not a huge signing, but he's coming off a really solid uh, four seasons with the San Francisco 49ers as an offensive guard. So I think he's someone who can kind of help that offense up front, kind of bring in a veteran that they really need, especially in light of uh, Mekhi Becton, probably done for the season. Uh, they, they could definitely use all the help they can get on that offensive line. Uh, so I, I do like a lot of the moves that the Jets made, but ultimately it's going to come down to Zach Wilson. And if his off the field off season is anything like his on the field regular season, then he's going to, the, the Jets will be just fine. And I, I do think they're going to improve. I think they're going to be a competitive team. I wouldn't be surprised if they pull off a couple upsets here and there, uh, kind of flirt with playoff contention for a while. But overall, it, it's hard to say like, yes, this is a team that actually can stack up with the rest of the AFC until we see that leap from Zach Wilson. And I'm not ready to write him off because of one bad season as a rookie playing for the New York Jets, but there is a, there's certainly a lot of room for improvement with his game, and he's going to be the biggest difference maker in whether or not the Jets are the same old Jets or an actual legitimate football team. Exactly. So I guess uh, while we're talking about young quarterbacks, the Jets aren't the only team in this division who has a young signal caller that their team will be relying on this season. And uh, really both the Patriots and the Dolphins come into the season after last year being competitive. Patriots made the playoffs as one of the last few wild cards. The Dolphins just barely missed out after a strong finish to the season. And both those teams come in with reasonable expectations, just given how things played out last year. And with that, there's also reasonable expectations on both of their quarterbacks to not just be good like Mac Jones and Tua Tagovailoa have been at times in the past year or two, but also to kind of take a leap, move forward and actually prove that they are one of the better quarterbacks and a star studded AFC. So with that being said, which team more needs that quarterback to take that next step this year? the Patriots, or the Dolphins? I really don't think you can go wrong with either answer because when we look at the Dolphins with Tua, for Tua, you could really make a case that it's a make-or-break year for him because he hasn't shown these first two seasons that he's a long-term option as a starting quarterback for the Dolphins. And they also added Tyreek Hill alongside Jalen Waddell, who those guys are two of the best yards after catch receivers in the league just two of the fastest guys out there and they have a new head coach to replace Brian Flores and so there's really no more excuses for Tua now so you could make a case that that Tua is the right answer but I reading this question where it's which team needs their quarterback to make more of a step this year I perceive that as who who needs to be great or else (laughs) or else it's gonna be a shit show and I I really believe that the Patriots need Mac Jones, need their quarterback to have the bigger year uh, over 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 Tua because there's a lot uh, riding on Mac Jones's plate right now. And when you look back at that 2021 draft and all the five quarterbacks, we talked about how, okay, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, those guys, they have all the physical tools to succeed, but they're also not going to great situations uh, football-wise. While Mac Jones... He's not really the f- most physically gifted quarterback, doesn't have the strongest arm, doesn't have the mobility really, but he's going to a great situation. At least that's what I thought <laughs> because Bill <laughs> Belichick, Super Bowl, six-time Super Bowl time head coach, and the Patriots have had all this success 
for many years, but is it really a great situation for Mac Jones right now? Because look, last year, I think the defense was the strong suit of the, the team, but it also did fade out at the end of the year and then got annihilated by the Bills uh, in the playoffs. And then they also lost J.C. Jackson, the free agency to the Chargers. And I, I expect the defense to take a little bit of a, a step back this year. And so I think the Patriots are counting more on the offense to succeed than the defense. And I like some of the pieces that they have on offense. Uh, they traded for Devontae Parker, who is often injured, but when he's out there, I do think he can make an impact and potentially be the Patriots' number one wide receiver. Is he really a number one on a great team? No, but for the Patriots, I think he's uh, arguably their number one receiver. And then I like Myers. I like Bourne. And they got good backs in the backfield with Harris and Stevenson. And so they have good personnel on their team, but... God, I don't like uh, how they're handling it with coaching-wise because they no, they no longer have McDaniels. And say what, it, what you want about McDaniels, but it wasn't always perfect, but he's a good offensive coordinator, and they didn't really replace him. They have Joe Judge and Matt Patricia running things on offense, and it's it's well known that the Belichick disciple, coaching disciple tree is not exactly... It doesn't exactly pan out when they leave New England, but... Joe Judge and Matt Patricia might have been the two worst cases because not only did they get fired from their teams, they dropped a nuclear bomb on their teams, and it was a complete disaster in Detroit and and New York. And neither I, of I them just, were offensive coordinators before they left either. And they don't have any sort of offensive experience, or they they they're not remotely qualified to run an offense. And they're the two guys that are running it. And I, I'm I'm just so it's just so alarming that they're they're going with the with Joe Judge and Matt Patricia running the offense, because look, if it were if if this were the plan and Tom Brady were still here, I I would not care because Tom Brady's really the offensive coordinator. But Mac Jones in his second year, and all of a sudden he's going from Josh McDaniels to to them. I think that really concerns me a lot, and and there are a lot of concerning, a lot of concerns throughout training camp right now. There are a lot of Patriots writers that are saying really. Uh, it's really it's looking really awful and it's just this training camp this is not even real game action we're talking about and so i think there's just way too much put on mac jones's plate right now and so i think if if mac jones doesn't take that step forward uh into year two i think it's gonna be a long year for new england brian usually you and i see eye to eye on a lot of a lot of sports takes this is one that we could not be you know more polar opposite on i think i think the dolphins are you know they're all in right now and onto it. You know, think about what happens if the Patriots have a horrid season. Let's say let's say that you know uh, Mac Jones comes out and looks like uh, you know he 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 can't even be the backup to Zach Wilson right now. Uh, you know if, if if he comes out and is awful, all right, you take you get a first round pick and you know you you have a way to you know improve your offense. The built the the uh, the Dolphins just spent their first their first round pick and their second round pick getting Tyreek Hill. They just lost next year's first round pick to uh, to the uh, Tom Brady cheating scandal, uh, and I don't mean the typical cheating Tom Brady you know does if you know what I mean. Uh, you know the, the the flirtatious text back and forth between Tom Brady and the the Dolphins owner. Uh, essentially, you know, essentially by costing them another first round pick next year, you basically just said, "All right, if we are if we're bad this year, we have nothing to you know to fall back on." You know, it's not even like you know if, if they come out and have a uh, you know, a, a bottom 10 season, that 10th round pick is out the window. 
you know, so so you know, if if, if Tua, you know, if, otherwise, if Tua comes out and looks like an absolute puddle, which I fully expect him to, uh, all right, you you use that pick and go out and get a get a quarterback next year. Now you are you you don't have an option right now. It's either sink or swim right now for Tua, and the 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 backup option is if you if you sink, you aren't getting any better, and everybody around you is going to get better. So I, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying as far as the Patriots is a lot of question marks, but Hey, if the Patriots had the 10th overall pick and ended up next year with, uh, uh, the, um, Garrett Wilson, uh, I don't know. I'm going to be pretty happy about that. I, I think that's a better, you know, I think, you know, next year, Mac Jones is walking into a better situation than Tua walking into the exact same team just without, you know, without a first round pick. So I, I would say that, Tua, re, you know, and Tua really, I, I will also add, has not shown a whole lot to this point in his career. That, you know, he, you know, he, he, he really, you know, he's going going into his third year. The tank for Tua now looks laughable. You know, in my opinion, looks yeah. laughable. Uh, you know, Especially compared that, to Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Who exactly. You know, he he was, uh, you know, he was in a, a class that was absolutely stacked. You know, quarterback. It looks like. You know, too early to say that. I would, I, I will admit, but it, you know, he was in a stacked, a stacked class. So if uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Dolphins took Tua and then Justin Herbert went to the Chargers. Yes, exactly. Next pick. Very so, next pick. You know, like the, you 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 could not have a tale of two careers right there. Like you know, Tua starts off the exact opposite way you want your first round quarterback to start off. Justin Herbert starts off as exactly how you would want your uh, you know your quarterback to start off his career. So in my opinion, I don't think you know I don't think it's even close that who's it you know and the other side of it is. All right, if Mac Jones comes out and doesn't look great, all the beat reporters are saying that they're implementing a new offensive scheme, adjusting to the, you know, adjusting to the league. This wasn't this isn't the Patriots year regardless of if Mac Jones looks like the second coming of Tom Brady. The the Patriots, you know, in my opinion, are still another good draft class away from being a competitive team. I think you know, you are you are a team that's so deprived of draft of quality draft picks over the past decade. That now you're, you know, now you're in a position where you're just retooling and being, you know, halfway decent in the process. So I don't, I don't think the expectations are as high for Mac Jones. And, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's a, if, you know, could this, you know, I think the talk is, could the Dolphins upset the Bills or, you know, could they compete for a playoff spot and potentially make some noise in the playoffs? And I think if they don't make it, that's going to be a problem for them. I'm not going to disagree with anything you said. I, I, those are all totally fair points, and so that's why I said you really couldn't go wrong with uh, either of these guys. And I'll admit, I probably just went with Mac Jones and the Patriots just because I have more ties to them being a fan. But you certainly could say that again. It's it's probably a make or break year for Tua. So now I really love having Will on for this episode because I thought that was great. You guys just going back and forth on. Uh, on that topic there. And I, part of me just wants to be like the mediator judge right now. And just let you guys keep debating Mac Jones, dolphins, whoever side you want to pick. But I will say that coming into this, I thought that Mac or the Patriots was the easy answer here because I feel like the Patriots are more invested in Mac Jones than the dolphins are into a talk of Iloa. We saw last year, Deshaun Watson rumors all throughout the first half of the season, up until the trade deadline in Miami, Lately, it's been the whole Tom Brady having him come in to be the uh, the quarterback, part owner, whatever. And because of that, it feels like if Tua doesn't have a great season, the Dolphins can move on. 
you know, obviously not with a first round quarterback after losing that pick to the whole, uh, you know, Brady scandal. But it, it seems like this is a star studded roster that could easily find some other quarterback to even just be a bridge guy stopgap before finding the actual future franchise quarterback. Whereas the Patriots, it seems like there's a lot invested in Mac Jones being the guy. And if he doesn't turn out, there's going to be a lot more problems because just looking at the roster, it doesn't seem like it's in the same position as Miami. Like there are a lot of question marks and even on the coaching staff. And at what point is Bill Belichick going to say, I don't want to start over with another quarterback if Mac Jones truly doesn't seem to be the guy or if he's just stagnant. So part of me thinks that the Patriots are much more reliant on Mac Jones to step up. But at the same time, the Dolphins wasting another season by not having a great quarterback doesn't really bode well for them. And even though like you can say, okay, they just don't have first round pick, which is big. It's the Miami Dolphins (laughs) things don't tend to go very well for them. Even going back to the Dan Marino days, the fact that they never won a Super Bowl is uh, very telling of that franchise. So I do think that both of these teams really need a lot from their quarterback, but I, I tend to think that the Patriots will be in much more trouble if Mac Jones doesn't improve or even regresses. Uh, and, and, you know, if you look at his play last year, things weren't as great post by in December into January. I don't know if that has to do with his Jacksonville roots, Alabama ties or what, but uh, you know, he was on track to be rookie of the year and then things just didn't really work out. They ended up getting blown out by the bills. Not really a whole lot he could have done. That was much more on the defense, but still um, I do think that there is a lot of expectation for the Patriots that Mac Jones will step up, maybe not as much from the dolphins. So I think that the Patriots will be in a little tougher spot if he doesn't, but yeah, both these guys do. So, yeah, and I know this isn't the you know the, the the point of this segment, but one thing I would like to touch on, I think the you know I I think truly that you know a lot of the you know Brian you you touched on a lot of the uh, you know talk coming out of camp is the uh, you know is oh uh, the Patriots aren't you know the, the offense is you know going through a whole reset. We don't know what's going on on coach the coaching staff. Every single day, it looks like the offense looks like worse and worse. I think that you know the, the you know the the one thing that everybody keeps touting after, you know, after the fact, uh, like after these practices is, but uh, Tyquan Thornton looks actually pretty good, but Marcus Jones was playing with the first, you know, the, the first teamers, but you know, uh, Cole Strange is a, you know, it, it looks like to be a, you know, it looks to be a start, you know, a, a true starting guard. I don't know. Like, you know, the fact that the Patriots are right now are, are touting the fact that, Hey, we got a 25 year old starting guard in the first round. We might've drafted a, a wide receiver in the second round, uh, the second round that will have more than hundred catches over his career. We might have drafted a cornerback in the third round that can actually play. I don't know. Like these are things that, you know, Corey, to your, you know, to your credit, you don't have to say as a, as a, as a Steelers fan, the, the Patriots are in such a bad position because the Patriots are so bad at drafting. And I, you know, I, I, that's where I, I, I just don't think that the, you know, I don't think that the ceiling is like the expectations are as high for the Patriots as the bill, as the, uh, you know, the bills or even the, you know, the dolphins, in my opinion, I think we're, you know, we're looking at these as silver linings of, you know what we've, we're, we're so used to bad drafts that, Hey, Belichick might've drafted one or two guys that might be able, might know what the sport of football actually is. Uh, you know, and it's, Although I although I like the you know the promise out of some of this, it's like you know I, part of me is like I really don't like the aspect that 
the media is talking so highly of three of these rookies. Like we just, you know, like we just drafted uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, you know, like, you know, that, that entire uh, Saints draft where they just went nuts with every single pick. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't like how, you know, now that you know, when Belichick has a halfway decent, competent draft, everybody's talking about how it's the best class the Patriots have seen in a long time, because unfortunately it probably is. It's not really that high of a benchmark to meet. But I, you know, I, I think the you know, the Patriots, in, you know, in order to in order to you know for Mac Jones to make that next step and to actually build around Mac Jones, these drafts need to be a whole lot better. And as of late, that's been the Patriots' biggest deficiency. And I, you know, I guess you could say that about most of the AFC East is that they, you know, for the longest time, that's why they, you know, the, the Patriots were always so successful under Tom Brady was because the like, you know, the likes of the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins couldn't draft to save their lives. You know, it took them. It took the Bills what. 30 years to draft a quarterback, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, so it was, uh, you know, so, so truly I, I, you know, I, I just don't think, you know, I don't think the Patriots are sitting all that, you know, regardless of their coordinator position, they have so many holes across the entire team that I think that, you know, I think they're, it's they're due for a step back this year. Well, yeah. they're really another year. It's kind of like a, a rebuild or a restart and hoping for the best in 2023 and beyond. It's a, you know, let's, let's hope we get some competitive, we are, you know, I don't, I don't want to say let's hope if we, if we don't have competitive football, we, we have a, you know, that there's a much bigger problem in new England, but let's just hope there's, you know, let's just hope that there's, you know, you know, playoff competitive football, uh, you know, up until the end of the season. And I'm looking at this season for the Patriots as, another building block under the Mac Jones, uh, you know, tenure, you know, if you will, you know, I I think this is another year building towards Mac Jones being the guy. He's still not that he's still not the guy that's going to, you know, make up for your, you know, deficiencies all around the team. So, you know what, in the meantime, until he becomes that guy, if he can ever become that guy, at least get a, you know, get a couple of halfway decent building blocks around him. Yeah. The Patriots definitely got panned throughout the off season for, free agency, the draft, you know, pretty much anyone could kind of pile on for what they perceived to be huge mistakes. And I think a lot of that had to do with last offseason spending however much it was, like the most ever guaranteed money handed out. And this just doesn't compare to it. And I get that there's reasons to believe the Patriots could take a step backward, that there's reasons to not be super high on this team. But I'm personally not going to believe that the Patriots are going to be terrible. They're not going to be all that competitive. They're not going to be a playoff contender until I actually see it happen because they made the playoffs last year. I know it's not exactly the same team. They've lost some big pieces. They've only added so much, but I I do still think that the Patriots are going to be very competitive and that if Mac Jones does take the next leap, that could be all the Patriots need to get back into that true like AFC contender status that they were back in the Tom Brady days. I think the I think the you know the, the biggest asset you have on that team is still Bel- Bill Belichick. I don't mean to sound like a Bill Belichick bobo, but one thing he's great about is uh, you know one thing he's great at is adjusting his ske- you know th- their their play scheme with the personnel they have on that team. They know you know yes. I mean I I think that they you know they know that they don't have a, an elite uh, you know secondary or you know, I, sh- I should say an elite corner you know cornerback room. So they went out and essentially, you know, spent their money on, or you know, they've kind of built an elite back end, uh, you know, in in the sense of they've added a lot. You know, they, they added um, the other another safety, uh, Jabril, Jabril Peppers. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that they they've become a you know a very safety heavy team, and I think when you start seeing uh, when you start seeing 
actual gameplay, I think you're going to be seeing, you know, potentially four or five safeties on the field at a time. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see, you know, half, you know, the entire, you know, all the safeties on the field with only two cornerbacks. They don't have a uh, lot of corner. It's really just, you know, it's, it's really just Jalen Mills. And, and then it's a really a big drop off after you, whoever you, the next guy is. Jonathan Jones, I don't, you know, he is, I would say one of the elite slot corners in the league before his injury. And I, you know, he, 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 you know, he got injured. I want to say week two last week or last year, Jonathan Jones was a, 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 a fantastic uh, slot corner. Um, you know, so talks out of the camp, talks out of camp right now is he got bumped to the outside as your corner two, and Marcus Jones, who's your third round pick becomes the, you know, becomes your slot corner. I think that becomes extremely valuable when you have a guy like Isaiah McKenzie who torched you out of the slot for 15 uh, receptions and 150 yards and a touchdown yeah, last year. They, against the Bills. they went after miles Bryant uh, big time in that game. <laughs> they aren't able to target miles Bryant like that. If Jonathan Jones is in that game, but you know, not to say that they wouldn't have won that, you know, Jonathan Jones was the reason they did. They lost by uh, 50 points to the bills in the playoffs. No means there, uh, you know, no, no means to say that, but they they were you know they would have been in the conversation if you know it would have been a lot closer game. Isaiah McKenzie wouldn't have been able to torch you as bad as he did if you have uh, you know someone who you know someone who can actually play a slot corner position, not Miles Bryant. And I think that's going to be very valuable as we talk about the addition of Tyreek Hill and the you know the Dolphins offense. When you have two guys that can potentially line up against John uh, against Jalen uh, Jalen Waddle and uh, Tyreek Hill, you have two guys who could potentially you know go stride for stride with those guys. Tyreek Hill might be an overstatement. He's one of the fastest player. You know, he's one of the fastest people on this planet. So it's an overstatement to say that you have a guy that can go stride for stride with them in Marcus Jones. But you did a, you you dra- the Patriots draft class this year in hindsight is targeting the deficiencies of their opponents. The, or you know, I guess you could say in that case targeting the efficiencies of you know of their opponents. They saw a guy. You know, they they saw guys. Uh, you know, what what they lacked last year, and they went out and grabbed the you know grabbed people to help that. So, I mean, that's the one thing I, you know, the, the silver lining I will add to the Patriots, you know, Corey, as you mentioned, everybody and their brother questioned their draft class. You know, it was, it was a, they, they, they were, they were going, uh, you know, 50th best person available, you know, with every single pick, uh, you know, Cole Strange. Uh, when, Cole, Cole Strange was a projected late second round, early third round. And then Tyquan <laughs> Thornton was a projected fourth rounder who they took in the second round. And Sean, Sean and the worst thing during the, the, the worst thing about that is that when they took Tyquan Thornton right after the Steelers took George Pickens and then the Chiefs took Sky Moore, yes. and I'm not going to pretend uh, knowing if those guys are better than Tyquan Thornton or not, but I but the Steelers and Chiefs have a much better track record at the wide receiver position than New England. And so I tend to... I go ahead. I, I don't know if you guys saw the video, but... When Sean McVay was being interviewed, you know, they, yeah. the, the Rams didn't have their first round. Uh, yeah, Nicole Strange. Yeah, so well, we they thought they we could get him in the third round. Drafted, but... and he just yeah. chuckled and goes, "Oh, well, we spent a lot of time dra- uh, uh, scouting him, thinking we'd get him in the third yeah. round." You know, and uh, it, it, it was one of those of you know, all right, cool. People thought saw him as a third rounder. Frankly, that was the, that was my biggest upset with the uh, with the fact that they drafted a, a guard in the third round because, in my opinion, or sorry, a guard in the first round. In my opinion. Guard is the only position that Bill Belichick can actually draft properly. They they have a pretty good track. Uh, he's obs- obsessed with guards, but like you said, great track record at finding guards. Shaq <laughs> Mason was a fourth rounder, fourth or fifth rounder. Joe Tooney was a third rounder. Uh, Onwenu was a sixth rounder. 
I don't know. I'm okay. Whatever with the it is, yeah, he, yeah. He, he can't <laughs> draft receivers for his life, but he knows how to find a guard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think that's at least for now. That's our our Patriots talk. You know, we still have a little more to wrap up with the AFC East, and let's start with a new addition that we believe could have the biggest impact on how things play out. So. I'm going to go with Tyreek Hill here. It's the, it's the easy cop out. It's the, you know, the, the simple, Oh, he's the best person added to the, you know, added to the division. I think a, a big thing that's going to, you know, that, that's going to change the landscape of this, uh, of this division is to do Tua and uh, Tyreek have the same connection that Mahomes and Tyreek had, because that, you know, that, that could pr- potentially propel them beyond uh, Buffalo bills. If they made, you know, if they found each other in the playoffs, even the regular season, you know, if, if they have a good connection, I wouldn't be surprised to see them split the series one one. Uh, you know, I, I think you know it, it's an easy it's an easy out, but I think Tyree Kill with what they spent on him and you know it, the, the you know as I mentioned earlier the lack of first round picks. Uh, you know, I think with what they spent on him and you know what they don't have in the you know this this coming year, Tyree Kill is you know I, I would say he is the biggest impact. You know. Plus or minus that that could change the entire landscape if if he if you know he comes out and just doesn't look like the Tyreek Hill we all expect him to I don't know that could, that that's going to change the entire landscape and I don't think it's out of you know it's I don't think it's excessive to say if Tyreek Hill and Tua can't get on the same page we might be looking at Miami being the you know the the, the fourth seed in the East I don't think that's unrealistic to say if you know that massive addition to that team can't. Uh, you know, can't perform at the manner, you know, at the, at the level that everybody in the league expects him to, uh, you know, so I would say that's the biggest, you know, that could be the biggest impact plus or minus. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that take. I mean, he, it was kind of like the obvious answer, but exactly. I mean, if Tyreek and Tua have that kind of connection that Tyreek has been hyping up all off season, then the Dolphins could be a scary team, but if he doesn't add an extra element to their offense and things aren't going well, then yeah, the Dolphins could certainly be in a world of hurt. Okay, so for my newest addition that will make the biggest impact, so Tyreek is definitely the the easy answer, so I decided to go a little bit off the board. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention about the Buffalo Bills is the running game, and they drafted James Cook, Dalvin Cook's younger brother at the University of uh, University of Georgia in the second round, and I think he's going to make a huge impact for the Buffalo Bills offense because the Buffalo Bills offense is very pass heavy. And De- Devin Singletary's had his moments, but he's not a good pass catcher. While James Cook, it's the opposite. Where at, when he was at Georgia, he was explosive as a pass catcher in their backfield. And I I think I, I think beginning the year it'll be more still more of a running back by committee approach. And, and probably Singletary as the 1A guy in their backfield. But I, I think as the year goes on and when they start to get into uh, later in the regular season and then very likely in big playoff games, I think they're going to rely more on James Cook uh, late in games than Singletary. So I'm going to go with James Cook as the uh, newest addition that'll make the biggest impact. Yeah, I, I intentionally didn't bring up James Cook in the Bills running game because I thought I was going to be able to say <laughs> that's him why, That's uh, why I, I mean, left him up too. <laughs> yeah, no, he could definitely turn an already awesome Bills offense into 
just unstoppable if he becomes that running back that they've been lacking I, both you know on the ground and in the passing game yeah if you were to nitpick the bills offense i think that's like the one thing that they've been really missing is a uh I mean, so singletary is a decent runner as a running back but someone that can be a great pass catcher in the backfield is something that they've really i think that's like the biggest thing they needed and so that's why so i like i like james cook a lot for buffalo in particular I, I, Brian, I, you know, that, that's a, you know, I, I had to go with the easy out there, but that's a, you know, a, a fantastic sleeper option. As you said, Buffalo's real, you know, I, I think Buffalo's offense for the most part has been one dimensional. Uh, you know, they, they really are just not that, you know, they, they aren't a team that if you know you need to pick up a, you know, tough three yards, you, you don't really have that guy. You don't, you just don't have that, that guy that you, you know, that you game plan against their run game. You know, the, the, the Patriots, as you point out, having Harris, uh, Harrison uh, Stevenson, I, I think you've got a you've got a game plan against those two at this point. They're you know, they're not high picks. Yeah, you know, they weren't high picks, but they're still pretty, you know, some of the some of the two of the better running backs, I would say, in the uh, I would say they're probably the two best running backs in the uh, AFC East right now, uh, to, you know, without without talking about how good Brees Hall is. But, you know, if, if, the, if the Dolphins can really, you know, bring, you know, really anything beyond what they have with Singletary and Zach Moss. If they can bring anything more to the, you know, the, the running game, that's going to, that's going to really make it difficult to game plan against them. And everything that's coming out of camp is that, uh, is, is that Cook is really turning heads. Uh, you know, and I want to say he was a, was he a second round? Second round. He was he, second late round, second round. Yeah. 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 Late second round. That's a pretty high pick for a running back. So those are pretty good expectations. So although you're not a first rounder, Two years ago, DeAndre Swift and uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor were both second rounders. So you know, there might have been might have been three years ago. Anywho, they, you know, those, like the second round running back is essentially a you know that's that's a modern day first round running back in my opinion. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a high that's high draft capital to spend on a running back. So I would hope he can play. You know, but if, and if he can, that's scary for the, for the rest of the division. Yeah, I mean, especially after using third round picks on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in 2019 and 2020, I think it, it means something that the Bills used a second round pick on Cook. Um, so yeah, I mean, those those were my top two answers here. So I guess you could really make an argument for any of the Jets' top you know, four out of those 34 picks in this case. Um, but the one guy that I think could be the biggest difference maker is Garrett Wilson because of the other Wilson, Zach Wilson, if he can come in and step up and I don't want to compare him to Jamar Chase, because I think that what Jamar Chase did last year is almost impossible to reproduce. But if he could come in and right away make his presence felt as a rookie, I think that could go a long way to not just Zach Wilson's development, but how good the Jets can really be this year. And he's the one guy who really stands out the most to me because it's not that crazy to think that there's an expectation that he has to be a wide receiver one right away. Uh, You know, you mentioned Elijah Moore, who the Jets invested some capital in last year in the draft, but number 10 overall pick, you know, I know he wasn't their first pick. I know they took Sauce Gardner fourth, but there's definitely an expectation for Garrett Wilson to step in pretty much immediately and have the kind of impact we've seen other rookie wide receivers in recent years have. And if he does, you know, live up to that kind of potential, then I think that's going to be a big difference in whether or not the Jets really take a, a leap forward this year. And Corey, the, the only other thing I want to mention there is totally, totally like, you know, I totally uh, accept the Garrett Wilson pick. Uh, I want to, you know, as, as, as I said, when we started this, I wanted to go with the entire uh, Jets first round draft class. I, you know, I, 
I, I think the jet the Jets hit so many needs in that first round that that's going to be you know it, it's tough to it's tough to say like you know it's tough to you know it, it, it's an easy cop out to say wow they had such a good draft when you have three picks in the first round uh you know and it, you you were blowing things up if you had three picks in the first round to start anyway but they addressed but their three biggest needs on they, the team they, they, those were three big needs and that's a you know that's one thing I will tip the cap to them and, and they didn't reach at any of those positions. All those, you know, Jer- you know, and- Jermaine Johnson. There are a lot of talks about him going in the top ten to the Jets specifically. Yeah, yeah and they got and him twenty six, and then all of a sudden he drops to twenty six, and they actually go get him late in the first round. It's like, wow, they actually got the guy twenty picks later than expected. <laughs> yeah. All right, so it it was last... so gross complimenting the Jets. <laughs> I just want to say, like, I I never compliment them on anything, but right, even I. Well, last yeah. uh, opportunity to talk about the AFC East here. Let's go a bold prediction for each division. So, Will, why don't you start off with your bold prediction for the AFC East? Uh, my bold prediction for the AFC East is that the uh, Jets do not finish last in the division, uh, and it is actually the Dolphins. Uh, I think. Wow, they, okay. you know, I, I just I think there's a lot wrong with that. Frankly, I, I think a lot of their success was tied to Brian Flores. I loved Brian Flores as a coach. I wanted him. You know, I frankly wanted him to replace Bill Belichick this year when I found out he became available. I I, I love Brian Flores. I love everything he built down there. Uh, I, the the fact that when he went to you know when, when he was down there in that first two weeks they were getting blown out by uh, the Ravens and there was another team that got blown out by. Players were calling their agents demanding trades. And the fact that uh, you know the fact that he basically said anyone who wants to be traded, cool, have your agent call me. You're out. You're out the door. I'm building a winning culture here, and he for the you know he turned that team from a you know a, a laughing stock. He built a good culture down there, and they fight you know and they fire him this offseason. I think that was I think that was devastating to that team, and I think it's going to be tough for Tua, a young quarterback, to you know to, to deal with that kind of change as he was just starting to get accustomed to it. Uh, so that's where I'm going with the. I, I think the Dolphins. This this could be a very bad season for the Dolphins if things go sideways. And when they go sideways with the locker room, with the clubhouse they've established by getting rid of a name like Brian Flores, you know, as as the as the general manager or as your your head coach, I don't think they have the culture to survive a bad you know a bad start. I think it's going to be a lot of name pointing. I think personally, I despise Tyreek Hill as a person, and I think he's going to be a. a terrible person in that locker room because he's never been a part of a losing team and that could be very difficult for him to you know for him to you know change becoming the best team in the uh, one of the best teams in the AFC year in year out to being the Miami Dolphins I kind of have something similar to Will where it's not 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 the Dolphins finishing last or anything but uh I I so I I agree with Will where that I think there's potential that Tyreek could there could there could be some issues with with him. Like you said, he hasn't been on a losing team yet, and this is his first year playing uh, playing in the NFL without Patrick. Well, he had Alex Smith beforehand, but he, it's a big drop off from Patrick Mahomes to Tua. And if there are issues on the field, then yeah, it could create issues uh, chemistry wise for them. And so my bold call. <laughs> this is probably way too bold, but I don't care. Uh, I'm going to say Jimmy Garoppolo gets released and signs with Miami. <laughs> and because uh, we, we saw Mike McDaniel, he's going from San Francisco to Miami. And look, I I think 
even though I've been critical of Jimmy in the past, uh, I will say I don't think there's a coach that, sh- that has treated a quarterback as unfairly as Kyle Shanahan did with with Jimmy. And but Mike McDaniel and Jimmy had a great connection, and so bringing him in, he could fit their offense uh, as the backup. And I'm gonna say that there'll be a point where Tua gets benched and. Jimmy comes in and there's a quarterback controversy all year long. And then, which is, so that's super hot kind of, but uh, to add on to it, I'll say neither of them will also be, won't be back next year because the 2023 starting quarterback will be Tom Brady. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm intrigued by what Mike McDaniel is going to do in Miami. Like I, yes, I think Brian Flores is a great coach there who got the short end of the stick for a variety of reasons, somewhat related to Brady and Sean Payton, but yeah, I don't know. I, that is a total 180 from your prediction last year that Tua was a mere pro bowl or top five quarterback. Well, I thought, (laughs) yeah, I really, I just thought people were so low on him, but Uh after another year, it's just like, yeah, I'm kind of on board with other people. It's just like, yeah, this is not gonna. This is he's not the guy. Or it doesn't look like. I yeah, I've tried to remain high on Tua, and I I'm not ready to give up on him by any means. I do. I am interested to see how the whole Tyreek Hill situation will play out in Miami. He's been talking up Tua a lot, so he. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing right now in terms I mean, of be how. Pretty that bad goes. if he didn't talk up his quarterback. <laughs> it would be, but like I don't know if that's first, if that's going to be more problematic if things don't go great right away. First week of training camp. <laughs> oh, this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, and I, I could certainly see the Dolphins making a move for Jimmy Garoppolo, but I, it's such a weird thing in that I think that. Jimmy is not just going to end up on the 49ers roster as a backup for half a season. So I think that kind of complicates stuff. And, but it, it, that being said, if they release him, I don't know, is someone just going to bring him in to be a backup quarterback? It, it's felt for a while that he's going to go wherever he's needed in like a desperate situation. And I certainly wouldn't rule out Miami. Um, it just might not be week one. So uh, anyway, well, I'm my like week prediction. one right away. Just yeah, like, no, just I get it. But it's like I don't know. I'm really interested <laughs> to see how the Garoppolo situation plays out, and we'll see if we have an answer by the time we get to our AFC West, NFC West preview. But uh, anyway, my bold prediction, kind of going back to the Jets draft class, we talked a lot about Sauce Gardner. My bold prediction is that in week one against the Baltimore Ravens, he will allow more than 13 receiving yards, which was a number he did not give up to any receiver last year. And I think throughout the season, he's going to give up a lot more receiving yards and he's going to allow a touchdown catch, which is something that didn't happen in college. And I think that I don't think people are going to call him a bust or anything, but I don't think that sauce Gardner is going to come in and right away and have people like, yes, that is why you draft him with the fourth overall pick. I think he's going to have a really tough early transition, not just from college football to the NFL, but from the American athletic conference, to the NFL, playing the likes of Navy and SMU. And I mean, they played Notre Dame, they played Alabama, but their their schedule is not up to par for the most part with the talent you would see in the NFL. You know, the quarterbacks are significantly better. The wide receivers are significantly better. And I do think that Sauce Gardner has a chance to be a special cornerback at some point, just not right away. AJ Terrell was one of the worst cornerbacks in the league as a rookie. People are calling him a bust. Now people are saying he's one of the best after his second year. And I could see something similar happening with Gardner. Oh yeah. AJ Terrell was not good in his first year, but 
made a dramatic improvement last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought he was a that was a terrible pick after year one, but yeah. but it looks like uh-huh. a decent pick now. All right, so with that, let's move on to the NFC East. So we we had a lot of different questions talking about the AFC East, but we decided for the NFC East, we we're going to group everybody together with just one question. And this is a question that we've kind of had before when talking about this division, and it feels like it's a never-ending question when it comes to the NFC East. And it's really, what can you expect from the quarterbacks? Because there's always kind of a revolving door and like a lot of these teams have had lots of questions over the years and all four teams have a starting quarterback that is under some level of pressure heading into the season, whether it's pressure to step up and exceed in ways they haven't before really to just maintain a job and prove that they're still a long-term starter. So with that being said, which quarterback in the NFC East is under the most pressure to succeed this season? I will fully admit that my answer is probably more contrarian than what is probably really the right answer, but I'm going to go with Daniel Jones uh, because like we talked about with Tua, I think like with him, Daniel Jones, this is also kind of a make or break year for him because they don't have Joe Judge anymore, which is a, which is great for great for him, bad for me and Will. <laughs> but and they added at, uh, Brian Dayball as their new head coach, who was certainly a factor, not the factor, but a factor in Josh Allen's development as now one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. And I don't want to say Daniel. Hopefully, Mitch Trubisky is too. <laughs> but anyway, but there are a lot of. There people bring up a lot of similarities of Daniel Jones and Josh Allen in that they're both they both have speed and they both have size. Well, Josh Allen's bigger, but there are a lot of similarities to the game. And like Josh Allen, we saw yes, he's an elite quarterback now, but we saw in his first couple of years he was he was not good whatsoever. His, his completion percentage was barely over fifty percent, and it's like this can this guy even play? But now it's like this dude's one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. And I'm not saying that's gonna, the same thing's going to happen to Daniel Jones, but I think there's potential for Brian Dayball to turn around Daniel Jones's career and then they also added Evan Neal in the draft to help out their offensive line and so look I think the Giants have their their offense I think has potential but there are also a lot of question marks too look at Saquon Barkley we saw how explosive he was as a rookie uh, coming out of Penn State but now it's we saw last year, he, he looked like he was washed. Is this guy even good anymore? I, I think, personally, I think he'll bounce back, but I don't think it's uh, out of question to say that he might be washed. I don't know. And then... Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things from him out of training camp, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Can he play a full 17-game season? Because mm-hmm. injuries have certainly been an issue for him. Right. And and then Kadarius Tony, that was a pick that I did not like at the time. I still kind of don't, but there have been a lot of positive reports out of training camp how he can be their number one wide receiver. And then last year they signed Kenny Galladay to a big contract and he scored a whopping, uh, what was it, uh, zero touchdowns last year. That's just great uh, for Kenny Galladay. And so he's certainly a question mark of whether or not he can improve uh, on last year, like not just touchdown-wise, but just as a receiver in general, or if that 2019 year was a fluke. And then Darius Slayton, he was a guy that was great his rookie year, but he's really regressed. And then Sterling Shepard is probably not ready for week one. They don't really have anyone at tight end. And then there have been a lot of positive reports on another Giants receiver, uh, Wandale, and not to be confused with Rondale Moore out of Arizona, but... Wandale Robinson 
there are a lot of yeah again positive reports for him but he's also five and a half feet tall and so there's I really believe that the Giants there's potential especially when adding uh, a coach that really turned around Josh Allen's career and made the uh, him one of the elite quarterback helped him become one of the elite quarterbacks in the league and Buffalo become an elite offense and so there's potential but there's also a lot of question marks and then the the biggest question mark of all is really can Daniel Jones prove that he's he's a long-term option or if he's still going to remain a turnover prone quarterback no matter who's the coach so I'm going to go with Daniel Jones as the quarterback with the most pressure in this division you know Brian I was actually going to start that I I had Daniel Jones written down but I'm going to change you know I, I think you've actually talked me out of it uh with the new regime coming in it's kind of written on the wall that they're looking to get rid of Daniel Jones and get their own guy and whatnot so I don't know. I think it's. You know, I think he's just a you know scapegoat for one. You know, one early year of uh, mediocrity. Uh, and actually, last year when I when I was interviewing for uh, jobs, when I interviewed for my current job, uh, my uh, my boss had told, or you know, who, the guy who would become my boss, who in my interview, he told me he was a Giants fan. So he, uh, you know, he jokingly he's like, "Oh, do you have any uh, you know hot takes, or you know, do you, do you want to uh, you know back out of the job uh, job opportunity now?" And I had said to him. Last year, my hot take was that Daniel Jones wasn't going to make it through the season as the starting quarterback. I, I didn't think that. You know, I thought they were going to bench him in, you know, and basically, you know, jettison him to the uh, the you know career backups like Mitch Trubisky after that. Uh, but I, you know, I think you actually just talked me out of Daniel Jones because I just think that it, it's too easy to, you know, I don't think there's much pressure on him because I think it's already written on the wall that he's out after this year. Yeah, like, you know, need I to find his fifth year option. Yeah, so you know, that, I, that's a big sign. I, I just, I just think that that's a, you know, that that's kind of a team that's like, you know what, let's go into the draft lottery, if if you will, uh, you know, to, to to find that next quarterback. I, I think that they're going to go through a, uh, you know, a fairly decent rebuild in the next couple of years. So I'm going to backtrack backtrack on that, and I'm, my new my new pick is going to be Carson Wentz. Um, I, I think after the way that, you know, he, he left Philly, uh, went to Indy, you know, came up a, a day late and a dollar short getting Indy into the playoffs. This is kind of it for him. Like if, if he, you know, at least with, da- with, uh, with Daniel Jones, like he has the potential like to be brought in, like, a uh, you know, to be brought in as a backup, like a, a Mitch Trubisky to, you know, compete for a job. I think if this doesn't work out for Carson Wentz and if the Redskins come out in our bad, bad. Uh, you know, I think that could, I, I think that could be a, you know, I think that could be a, a tough one for him, but I also think if he comes out and, uh, you know, and, and does a great job, Carson Wentz could be your guy. Carson Wentz could, you know, could be the guy that we, you know, the, the, the Redskins already have a pretty good defense in place. So I think that, you know, if he comes out and is good, he could be praised as the, you know, like as, as this, you know, they, they were only a quarterback away that, you know, the, the, the Redskins were right there. Uh, they, they just need the commanders. The Sorry, the commanders. Yes, the, the Washington football years. team. The Washington <laughs> football team. I apologize. Uh, so you know, it's one of those. It's one of those that I. I just think Carson Wentz is like. How many opportunities is this guy going to be given? You know, like you know, how, how many teams is he is he going to be essentially handed saying, "Hey, you're a warm body. Let's see how this works out." Like you know, it's a, he's borderline Andy Dalton at this point. <laughs> I think the difference between me and you is that. Daniel Jones, I still think there's some hope for him to to be a starting quarterback, long term option, maybe maybe not with Giants, the Giants, but maybe somewhere else. But for with Carson Wentz, I I've uh, held on 
hope for too long for him. Like I, I'm, I've given up on Carson Wentz uh, because. So he he got traded to Indy last year, and Frank Reich was really known as the guy that really uh, helped Carson Wentz become that M- near MVP quarterback we saw in 2017. And there is potential potential to see him turn around his career, getting out of Philly and matching back up with Frank Reich. But after one year, he's already gone. And just I, I've I've basically what I'm trying to say is I've I've personally given up on Wentz, but I've still how ha- I think one more year of Daniel Jones especially under a much better coaching staff and potentially better uh, weapons and O-line. Uh, I'm still holding out one more year for Daniel Jones, and then I'll probably give up <laughs> when he sucks. <laughs> I'm shocked that you haven't given up on Daniel Jones. It feels like a lot of people have. And, like You'd be the kind of person that just has no expectation that he can ever be anything good. I mean, in his um, defense, he had Joe Judge. That that's what, that's, the, yes, that's no, the reason, yeah. That. Yes. The Joe that, Judge that was his sense. coach you for two years. Brian Dable, uh, <laughs> that is a – yeah, I mean, that that's a big – big uh okay this is you know we can still see if you can be saved um and i think that both jones and wentz make sense here and that they are both guys that are under pressure in that it doesn't work out this year and things don't go well for them like yeah they're both staring at you know backup career paths moving forward this is probably both of their last chances uh to be true starting quarterbacks but I don't think they're the only two in that position. And I think that they're the two with the least amount of expectation in terms of the team they play on. Well, we gave I mean, you a layup. I didn't think we, I we would... gave you a layup, Corey. We picked the, the, the two quarterbacks that are likely yeah. to finish third and fourth. <laughs> so I didn't exactly. I didn't think I would get a chance to, to go with him here. I'm going to go with the guy who I said was under the most pressure in the 2021 playoffs to succeed. His team's given him another chance, but it, it's Jalen Hurts to me. The Eagles are a fringe Super Bowl contender at this point. If Jalen Hurts can be like the elite type of quarterback that he maybe has the potential, but if he doesn't play well this year and this season doesn't go great for the Eagles and they either, you know, aren't a legitimate threat in the playoffs or they miss it entirely, then the Eagles have everything set up to be able to get a quarterback next year, having two first round picks. They have their own, they had the saints and they're, they're not fully committed to this guy, but the expectations are super high for this team. They went out and traded for AJ Brown. So now he has like a legitimate number one receiver to pair with Devonte Smith, who might be a number one receiver in his own right. This is a team that is like, they, they have a lot of like really solid players up front. I know that, uh, you know, Kel- Jason Kelsey's coming back. He's kind of on his way out for one final season, but This is a team that still has a very strong offensive line. They have a great defense. There's plenty of reasons for Eagles fans to be excited about this team. And if Jalen Hurts doesn't give a better showing, like doesn't come out consistently playing at a Pro Bowl caliber level, at least competent enough to be like, yeah, this is a guy that can be a franchise quarterback. The Eagles are going to move on from him. And I think that's going to say a lot more about Jalen Hurts himself than necessarily would about, say, Daniel Jones or Carson Wentz. I think that both of them are in not as great situations. Jalen Hurts, everything is there for him to succeed. And if he doesn't succeed this year, then I mean, who knows what his future looks like? Because there's plenty of reasons to question him as a a potential franchise quarterback already. And he's in a spot where he really can't mess it up. He sucked in that playoff game against Tampa. And I know the Bucs are great defense, but that was like an opportunity for him. And they're giving him another chance. But, uh, yeah, 
he's uh, definitely under a lot of pressure to succeed this season. I'm kind of amazed that none of us took Dak Prescott, but at the same yeah, time, I, it's like, okay, they don't have Amari Cooper now, and the, the Cowboys are just chokers, <laughs> no matter how good they've been in regular seasons. They're just that's a lot of that is on Dak. If, if Dak comes out and has a bad season, what does that mean for Dak? You know, what are they going to do? What are the Cowboys going to do? Trade him? Yeah, that's but, why I think he has the least pressure. Yeah, he has a exactly. Contract. Yeah, he, he is. He is a healthy big boy contract. It, so, yeah. you know, and I want to say there's good guaranteed money on that contract too. So, I don't that, know. No, I I, I, I I agree with that. Like that's I didn't I wasn't going to pick Dak because of those reasons. Just like okay, well if he stinks, okay, well, well they're just they're, were they going to trade him? Yeah, no, they're going to they're going to keep. They're going to keep him. <laughs> if there was, no, no. And I think that he's in a different boat for that reason. But at the same time, it's the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. His expectations are extremely high. And in that sense, the pressure just being is on the team that he's on. Yeah. yeah. Just for that. So like if we had a fourth person on and I had to say Dak Prescott, I probably could have right. you know, made a made an argument there. But yeah, I mean, he's someone who, even though his pressure maybe doesn't relate to these other guys and that you're not going to have a job if things don't go well there's still plenty of pressure being quarterback of a Cowboys team that is consistently great in the regular season or good enough in the regular season. And he has one playoff win and how many tries, four tries and a couple of seasons where he's missed it entirely. So um, he's certainly under pressure in his own right, even if it's not the same kind of pressure that Jones, Wentz and Hurts are under. All right. So with that, let's go on to our new addition that could have the biggest impact this year. So, Me or, Brian, uh, okay. I guess did one of you no, want to go, go like, first? Yeah. Okay. So, for the biggest addition, uh, newest addition that'll make the biggest impact in the AFC, I took a Georgia rookie. And for this division, I'm going to take two Georgia rookies because they're both, yeah, again, both on the same college, went to the same college. Both rookies, and they both play on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm going to go with Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean, who th- those guys were on a national championship winning team. And the biggest reason why they were national champions last year was because of how lethal their defense was. I don't watch much college football, but I, even I was impressed by how good their defense was. And look, the Eagles' defense is not its not bad, but... They did record the second fewest sacks last season, and they gave up the second highest completion percentage to opposing offenses. And adding two guys like that can really increase the sack numbers and also generate a lot of pressure to opposing quarterbacks. And I think that's going to make the Eagles defense uh, that much better, adding adding those two guys, especially N'Kobe Dean, who was a projected late first rounder, but then all of a sudden fell all the way to the third round because of injury concerns. And... Just adding that, that, was a, that was a torn bicep, right? Or yeah, he, he had a torn yeah. something that he didn't get surgery on his right. shoulder or something like that. It was a it was a it was a it's weird a, injury, almost like a you know Miles Jack a few years back when you know he fell down the board because it was you know because of a, a you know a knee injury and then right you know, all, all the skill sets were there. And I but. I don't fault teams for for passing on, but it's just wow, the third round and the Eagles get him along with Jordan Davis, like that's crazy to me. And so I think those two guys are going to be. Uh, Great, and and there are already videos of Jordan Davis already destroying offensive linemen uh, in camp, and so he looks like a beast already. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the Jets draft class earlier. The Eagles draft class uh, Eagles, is just as awesome. Another team so. that I hate to compliment because I don't <laughs> like, but they had an awesome uh, draft day. 
They, uh, Brian, you, you just mentioned it, but I was going to point it out. If anybody hasn't seen that video of Jordan Davis just absolutely blowing up that, that you know, that, that guard should just leave the NFL right now. <laughs> that, like he was literally just being pushed back. Looked like he was doing some kind of a dance at a wedding with the way that he was like just bouncing backwards. That was, that was one of the most absurd NFL like practice plays I've ever seen. And the fact that a rookie just did that to that, you know, whoever, I don't know who the guard was. I hope they didn't publish his name because that was, that was awful. It was, it was awfully amazing. It was so cool. Like it was so good, like so cool to see, but at the same time, it was kind of scary for the rest of the NFL. The fact that that big of a man is moving as well as he does and moving guys in that manner is very dangerous for the NFL. Yeah, Jordan Davis could be scary with just his size and his ability. So for 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 my addition to the uh, the NFC East, similar, you know, who who could uh, you know who's under the most pressure? It's who could have the biggest impact? Carson Wentz. I you know, it's I I think it's one of those that if he comes out and you know if if he gives them a halfway decent uh, you know a halfway decent quarterback, they could be something. They, you know, they, they have the defense, they have the offensive weapons around them. And I, I just, you know, I think they I think they have the running back too. to, you know, and uh, you know, I, I just think that they might have the pieces there that if Carson Wentz can, you know, be somewhere in between that MVP season and what he was in Indianapolis, which Indianapolis might not have been the system for him. They were a very run heavy, you know, run heavy uh, offense. Maybe it just, you know, they, they weren't, you weren't using Carson Wentz to his best points. If the, if him going to the Reds, the Washington football <laughs> team, or the, or the Commanders. 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 Uh, Commander Carson. If, if he, if, if he can give them like, you know, somewhere between what he was in Indianapolis and what, you know, what he was at MVP season, I think the Commanders could be a, you know, a, a sleeper team. You know, you, you've had so many years of that, of the, uh, you know, NFC East just being the, you know, the laughing stock of the NFL where you have a, you know, below 500 team potentially making the playoffs. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think given the, given their competition, given their division, I think Carson Wentz, if he comes out and is actually pretty good, he could be a, you know, that could be a, a you know, that could be a force over, you know, force down there or up there, I guess. Uh, so I'm, I'm going with Carson Wentz. I think that, I think he could, you know, I, if he performs, he could be, you know, he could potentially propel that team into the playoffs. I was, uh, I was high on the football team. They were the football team last year. So <laughs> I was high on the football team last year as a playoff uh, team with their defense. And then either Ryan Fitzpatrick or Taylor Heineke at quarterback, but their defense was not, it took, it took a huge step back last year. And so I, I guess that's the one concern I have is that like, did we overrate this defense? And is it, is I, that, that's the one mm. thing is I, 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 you know, not to talk fantasy football, but I took, I took their defense <laughs> in a lot of leagues because I thought they were going to be that top five, top, you know, top 10 defense. And they were, they were bottom 10. Yeah. You know, they, they, that, that defense was not what I don't think anyone was expecting uh, last year. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know if I overvalued them or if they, you know, should be, con- you know, in that consideration of that, you know, that, that, that better, you know, one of the better defenses in the NFL, I think on paper, they have the roster. So, you know, let's see if that, you know, they have, the, they have the roster, they have some of the names that, you know, you would uh, uh, attribute to a, a top defense. So if the, you know, if they can get the quarterback, right, you know, we'll see, we'll see where that takes them. 
So I guess for my guy, AJ Brown seems like an easy <laughs> answer here. I mean, especially after talking about Jalen Hurts, you know, if he stays healthy, performs at a high level, the Eagles would be great. But that's all I'm going to say. Instead, I want to choose someone else. So for the AFC East, I went with the New York Jets first round pick. For the NFC East, I'm going to go with the New York Giants first round pick and Evan Neal. Everything I've heard from training camp is glowing reviews about how great Evan Neal has been. The Giants used a seventh round pick on him. And I think that if he can come in and be this franchise cornerstone left tackle, that will go a long way toward Daniel, Daniel Jones having a great season, towards Saquon Barkley having a great season. Now, I don't know what great necessarily means for those guys, but I think that Evan Neal is a really big name to watch, especially after, what, two years ago, they drafted another guy in the first round, uh, fourth overall pick, offensive tackle. His name is slipping my mind right now. Uh, very basic one too. I'm not sure why I can't can't think of it. He um, really struggled as a rookie. Played much better in his second Andrew year, Thomas. But that was Andrew Thomas. Yes, yeah. So the Giants drafted him fourth overall. He kind of sucked as a rookie. There were a lot of question marks about him moving forward in his career. He was much better last year. I think that if they have this kind of cornerstone offensive line with Andrew Thomas and a really good rookie Evan Neal, then the Giants that'll go a long way toward their offense being functional and watchable and them being competitive and Daniel Jones, maybe not just being a lame duck quarterback, but proving that he has uh, some potential in this league. You know, I, as we, as we mentioned, you know, these draft classes, I pull them up. Uh, you know, I've been pulling each team up and I don't know the, the, the giants looking at it with that Evan Neal added, uh, add uh, cave Thibodeau, like, mm-hmm. They had a great draft. Like you know, another they, team that I you know, don't it's like. It's hard <laughs> not to have a great draft when you have two top seven picks. <laughs> uh, did, remind me, did they have to? Uh, did they trade up for Evan Neal, or was did they already have? No, no. So they had Chicago special. Okay, okay. From well, Justin you know, Fields, they, they, it, it looked like they were going to take Evan Neal at that fifth pick, and mm-hmm. you know they they took Edge, which was also a need for them. The fact yep. that Evan, you know, Evan Neal fell to them. You know, made, you know, made it past the sixth pick to you know fall to them at seven. Hey, that's a that, that's a as you said, they their offensive line was horrific. And who, hey, that you know that could if you put a good offensive line in front of Daniel Jones, it's tough to be a quarterback when you're getting hit every single play in thirty in three seconds or less. So if you mm-hmm. can put in a uh, you know a halfway decent you know uh, a halfway decent uh, you know uh, blocking game, that'll open up things for Saquon. And if you open up things for Saquon, that opens things up for Daniel Jones. So, you know, I definitely agree with you. Evan Neal could be a, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to talk offensive line when you think of, you know, biggest impact. Uh, you, you think like an offensive lineman, it's such an unsexy player. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a fantasy name, but it, you know, really, uh, you know, you think back to that, I would say one of the, the first offensive lines in that I remember that was just seen as that holy cow. They, uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys, when they, the drafted, Cowboys. when they drafted Zeke. They, they yep. built an unreal uh, offensive line, and if, yep. you know, I, I think it. I, I think the you know the success on offense needs to start with it with a good with a good offensive line because you you know, you, you no matter what you, you know, you, or I would say continued success. You you draft a guy like Cam Newton, he's out of the league already because he just got the uh, he got you know the, the the light beat out of him every single week, week in and week out. Uh, you know, he was taking hits he really shouldn't have. So if you can protect, you know, not that Daniel Jones hasn't been hit already, but if you can actually start to protect Daniel Jones, maybe Daniel Jones could become serviceable, and mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe it's a you know maybe that that offense can kind of turn around where they have so many pieces that it should work, it just doesn't. 
maybe now that, you know, if they can put together an offensive line now, you know, now you might see that thing actually working. Yes. Yep, exactly. And that's why I say Evan Neal over Kayvon Thibodeau, even though both of them could have plenty of impact in their own ways by being, you know, what they're billed to be as rookies. It really benefited so. them that Thibodeau fell down to five and no offensive linemen were taken yet. So yep. they decided to take Thibodeau at five and then whichever offensive lineman was on the board still at seven, that's who they get. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. the Giants had a great... Yeah, and like you said, it's hard to have a good draft when you're <laughs> drafting fifth and seventh, but uh, seeing teams have high draft, multiple high draft picks that have also blown it. So it looks yeah, like it looks like so. it's going to be a good draft for them. Well, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, and all right, the, the last comment on the NFC East, bold prediction for the division. So, Brian, how about you lead us off? So we were talking about how important offensive lines are for teams uh, and success. I think the Eagles have one of the best offensive lines, if not the best one in the league. And I talked about, already talked about the additions that they've made defensively in the draft. And they have a great corner in Darius Slay. And, and then they also added AJ Brown during the draft through, through trade. And they have him and Devonte Smith. That's one of the better one, two wide receiver combos uh, in the league. And if and Jalen Hurts, yes, there are questions about his passing, but he's he's got plenty of speed and and they have a great running game. Well, not great, but like a, they have two serviceable running backs in Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell. I think it. Yeah, we talked about or Corey talked about uh, quarterback with the most pressure to succeed. If Jalen Hurts can put it together as a passer, I I'm really high on the Eagles this year. I, I hate saying it that I like the Eagles, but I'm. I am pretty high on them, and I think they'll win the division. And then, as a bold call, I don't think it's bold to say they make it all the way to the, make it to the divisional round. So I'll go a step further, and I'll say the Eagles make it to the NFC Championship. That's bold, right? All right. Yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, very. No, it is. It's bold. not. I don't think it, it was bold. It speaks to of the Hertz pressure. I didn't too, think so. it was bold to say divisional round because last year we thought they were kind of a rebuilding team and didn't think we were going to do yeah, much. They made, they made the playoffs. The playoffs yeah. as, uh, even uh, though Grant is a 17, they made the playoffs with that team. Yep. And so, and then they all of a, they made the, all these additions uh, throughout the draft and trading. And I, so division round, I don't think is bold. So NFC championship, I think is bold though. So I'm going with that. For sure. Uh, this is a, you know, less of a, uh, you know, less of a uh, standings take. But I think the uh, I, I think the NFC East has three uh, top fifteen running backs in the uh, coming coming out of it. I think I, I think you're going to see what metric? Just rushing yards? Uh, fantasy points. I'm going fantasy with points, okay. fantasy points. Fantasy uh, points. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the you know to see the the uh, Giants offense kind of get back on the track. Uh, Saquon Barkley looking like he should have you know he, he's not a pedestrian. Um, you know, and I, I think Zeke will get back on track. And Antonio Gibson, I'm huge on him. That guy's just a an absolute barrel. He he just pinballs off people. He's almost a Legarrette Blunt uh, type running back that just you know, it takes a few guys to take him down. He's a, you know he's quicker. I I think you're going to see some uh, some good things out of the uh, out of out of the, out of the backfields of the uh, NFC and on top or NFC East and on top of that. I'm going to go a step further and say that the uh, Dallas Cowboys are not going to make the playoffs. I don't know if that's a bold prediction because I don't think, you know, I think that's an easy cop out of 
oh, it's we them boys. They're going to fail anyway. They fail like every season. But I, it, there's just something about that team that I feel like they lack. I can't put my finger on it. it there's just something that they don't have. Uh, intelligence. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe is, is McCarthy still there? Yes. Uh, Mike McCarthy is still okay, there. Okay, perfect. Yes. There it is. That's the intelligence. That's why, that's why they're gonna, yeah. not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, so no team has gone back-to-back in the NFC East since the Eagles won this division four years in a row from 2001 to 2004. So it's Really? Been almost two decades, yes. Wow. And uh, the Cowboys are looking to be the, the first ones to break that. Um, so you said this team is missing something. So my initial bold prediction was just going to be that they are going to add a legitimate number two wide receiver, basically to replace Amari Cooper. We know CeeDee Lamb is great. Michael Gallup. He's not going to be ready for week one. He's out with a ton of injuries. No. So that was my thought. But I was like, is that all that bold? You know, there's there's only so many options out there. And I don't know. It it feels like I could take it a step further. So I'm going to take it a step further and say that missing piece that guys that they're going to add is not only going to be Odell Beckham Jr., but his first touchdown catch as a Dallas Cowboy will be on Thanksgiving Day against his former team, the New York Giants. So at that point, he'll have been a little over nine months yeah. removed from his torn ACL in the Super Bowl. And I think it would be perfect first game for him to play in. And I think that is a game the Cowboys have a really good shot at winning, performing well, national stage against a young, up-and-coming, still Giants team, if they're even up-and-coming at this point. Who knows? And I think it would just be the perfect story uh, for that to happen. He probably won't, well, he definitely won't be ready for week one, but he probably won't be ready till late October, early November. Mm-hmm. And so I yep. can, I can see it happening. They just lost James Washington, Washington to a fractured foot. Yeah, He's going to exactly. be out for six That's to another... 10 weeks. And Michael yep. Gallup very likely won't be ready for week one. There's their, their second wide receiver right now is Jalen Tolbert. And I don't know what they're going to get out of yep. him. Uh, and so I can see it happening. I could see Will Fuller going there. Honestly, I, I'm so yeah. He's I'm, another I'm shocked name that he's still not signed. more immediate impact. So I, I know. Uh, yeah. So I'm. It's because teams off are the field issues are ten million dollars a year to play three games. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's there's a no. There's a lot of concerns. And again, Odell's not going to help them right away because of the injury. But it, I don't know. I I could see that happening. Um, I also think that this division could have all four teams in playoff contention still on christmas eve um, i think that well so first of all the nfc east plays the afc south and the nfc north if you go by strength of record from 2021 all four teams have the four easiest schedules in the league this year so i think there's a lot of opportunities for some of these teams to maybe be a little better than expected but it also comes down to can a team like the eagles or the cowboys take the next step and not just be good enough to win the division but good enough to you know be top of the league in the nfc so i think that'll be the big factor but it would not surprise me at all if washington or new york is sitting there like seven and seven be like wow are they actually a playoff team right now just given what their schedules are like so with with you mentioning uh obj we didn't touch on it earlier but uh he was uh he's been tweeting that he wouldn't mind going to the bills so uh oh yeah (laughs) there is the potential that obj joins the the bills at some point as well i love it i Uh, wouldn't mind going to the super bowl favorite like you know it's that that, and that's the thing is that it's like you know we, we you know i don't mean to backtrack to the uh afc afc east however the one thing that the Bills have going for them right now, you know, we talk about their cap, their cap trouble. They're, they're about, you know, they're about to enter that cap trouble. The one thing they have going for them right now is they're essentially the Golden State Warriors of the NFL. 
you know, not that they won a championship, but it's the, you know, the, the, the twilight of your career, Von Miller. Uh, and you, you're, you're, you're chasing that, you know, that, that trophy. So you go join the powerhouse, you know, and Brian, you and I can be like, Oh, what, what a cheap, what a cheap cop out. We won many Super Bowls with that exact, <laughs> with, with teams ring chasing, joining Tom Brady here in New England. So, you know, not, not, you know, I can't scoff too much at these guys who do, you know, who do this, but, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all, you know, to see, uh, uh, to see, you know, an OBJ join the bills and, Thinking of uh, the thinking of that uh, that offense adding uh, adding OBJ and possibly having a run game that could be a that could be a game changer for uh, for for a lot of factors. Bills also play an easier division compared to Kansas City, Cincinnati, and et cetera. Like so, so that they also got that going for them too. Mm-hmm. All right, so that will wrap up the AFC East and NFC East preview portion of this episode. Uh, So let's get ready to kind of wind things down here with a couple of guests chosen topics. So uh, one thing that we did last year for our preview episodes was we let our guests choose a top five. Now, Will, you initially suggested doing top five worst fantasy football draft picks, and I shot it down pretty much immediately, but I am willing to spend a little bit of time going through this, entertaining you. We had you on. You know, we want to make sure that you enjoy your experience and are willing to come back. So I guess I'll let you get started by just kind of talking about this. Uh, You know, we'll see where this conversation takes us. So this is one I, you know, and I know this, I know this podcast likes to avoid fantasy because as Corey said, nobody cares about my fantasy team. Uh, you know, but this is one of those, this is one of those topics that I think is very fun to reminisce on and think back on, you know, players' careers and how things unfolded. Uh, one of the biggest ones I think everybody will remember is Andrew Luck retiring mid NFL draft season. You know, yes, and it, like, on it was a it, it was one of those things I was camping, like we were sitting around a fire and a friend of mine got a notification that Andrew Luck retired. And it, the second somebody said it, I was like, no effing way. I just drafted him last week. No way. That, that didn't happen. <laughs> and uh, sure sure enough, uh, you know, he sure enough, he retired just clear out of the blue at like nine o'clock on a, as you, as you pointed out, a yeah. Saturday. And that was just, that was, that was one of many, you know, many picks that I, you know, I've had over the years that were just like, what the f? You couldn't have done this before. I, you know, I spent a draft pick on you. Uh, another one. You know, maybe this is just a, a, a running you know tally of mine. It was actually back to back years. I drafted Darius Geis the, his rookie year, the year that he uh, tore his ACL against the Patriots. The day he was playing the Patriots, uh, I made that pick. In moments later, I look up on the TV and they're like, "Oh, Geis is being carted off the field." Uh, and in, in an, another <laughs> yeah. great one. Spencer Ware, uh, opening the door, uh, right after the draft, opening the door to Kareem Hunt to steal, mm-hmm. you know, to take the league by storm. And I want to say he led the league in uh, fantasy points that year. As oh, I was out. all over Kareem Hunt that year because I wait <laughs> until after, uh, you know, preseason for the most part for drafts. Like that, that's a big thing. I will go back to the Andrew Deluck. Yes, I've heard plenty of stories of people drafting him literally that night, including OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson was <laughs> doing a fantasy draft and. I don't know, like an hour later, if that posted a video where he was like kind of playfully threatening Andrew Luck for retiring right after he drafted him. And the internet was like, is OJ Simpson going to kill Andrew Luck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, allegedly. Uh, but yeah, that, that's probably one of the more prominent examples. Um, so the three of us are in a league together and I 
have historically not had any like really bad examples of those of picks I can think of. But there was one time where I benefited in that league. It was before Will joined. I had the second overall pick in that draft. And the following night, I had the first overall pick in a different draft. And 2018 was basically two running backs, Todd Gurley of the LA Rams and Le'Veon Bell of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I said, whichever one I get number two, I'm taking number one the next night. I'm going to roll with that guy. And luckily in our league, the person with the number one overall pick drafted Bell. I got Gurley. No, it was the other way. So I ended up with him in two leagues. No, I ended up with Gurley because yeah, but you, Bell... you, were, you were taking, you were, you picking first though. Oh, you know what? So I got the two leagues messed up. So it was in, a, in the other okay. league where someone I, okay. So the first night I had the second overall pick in a different league, but still in that league, they took Bell number one. And I would have happily taken him as a Steelers fan, but I took Gurley. So I took Gurley again the next night. And then, of course, Bell ends up sitting out the entire season <laughs> with his holdout. So I got really lucky with that. And I actually ended up getting James James Conner in at least one or two of my leagues, too. So it worked out pretty well for me. Um, that's that's kind of like the the closest example I could come up with for that. The the, the only other... Oh, sorry, Rango. No, I don't have anything. I was just... Uh, the, the the only other one that I had, I one of my leagues is a is a a sticker league. So we 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 don't do it online. You know, you have the stickers, you pull off the uh you know the, the paper and stick them up on the board. Yeah. Uh, and we have a rule: once the sticker's placed, you can't take it back because the stickers don't come off. There's there's no way around it. Sure. I had a I had a friend of mine who he was a uh he was a, a star baseball player at uh Bentley University. So he he should have known sports. He he was a good athlete. He should have known what he was doing. And in the third round, he drafted a guy by the name of Mike Thomas. He thought he was getting the steal <laughs> oh, of the century yeah. drafting <laughs> Michael Thomas. But in reality, this is the sixth uh, sixth in the depth chart wide receiver for the LA Rams, or yeah, for the, it might have even been the St. Louis Rams at the time. But for the for the Rams, and the second he put the sticker on, he's like, "Idiots! Why didn't anyone take Michael Thomas?" And we were like. <laughs> How the f is Michael Thomas still on the board? And I went and looked at it and saw that it, you know, uh, saw that it was the uh, the Rams, and we just lost it. It was one of those of like you got to read to a T, like you know, <laughs> so that, that's been that's been you know our running joke moving forward. Yeah. Oh, is it the right guy if if somebody falls? <laughs> that's no, that's hilarious. Like, do you hear of that thing happening like on the actual computer when you just have lists of people? You know, you're going through it. Oh, Michael Thomas, do that in person. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a special kind of bad, <laughs> but that's that. I just wanted to reminisce on a few of those because they're you know as we're in the middle of draft season, it's just a friendly mm-hmm. reminder to everybody: wait for your drafts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I play a lot of a lot of fantasy football where I I take part in a lot of. I don't know if you guys know this format called best ball. And looking at my exposures to all these players. There were some teams that I had some Broncos stacks that involved Tim Patrick, who I didn't have a lot of them. I only had like two percent of them, but he, he's literally going to score zero yeah, points. Uh, <laughs> he already tore his ACL, and he's like, "Great, I, wa- I wasted a like eleventh or twelfth round pick on some of my teams uh, on a guy who's literally going to score zero points because he tore his ACL in training camp." So if you're listening and you're that commissioner who's like, oh, well, let's get the draft in early this year. Nope, don't do it. Don't. Be oh yeah, in don't our in it. our don't do in it. our league, yeah, we we try to wait as 
we probably wait too late, but we we do we try to draft as late as possible, like Labor yeah. Day around Labor Day weekend. Well, and it's easier now when you only have three preseason games because you have an extra week before the season starts. So like you can't even use that as an excuse. Like oh, preseason week four, maybe someone will get hurt, even though no one relevant plays in week four anyway. <laughs> so. But anyway, let's uh, do the top five that I actually accepted, and uh, we'll go ahead and count down our films that the general public loves, but we do not in this episode's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. So I want to start this off with saying the reason I chose this uh, this topic, I, I recently went to the movies, saw a recent movie, which is my number one. I'll hold off on the movie. And we got out of the movie and I'm looking around, you know, I, I looked around with everybody that I was, uh, you know, that I was with. And I was like, what the heck did I just watch? What on earth happened in that movie? And everybody else was like, I feel the exact same way. Like nobody knew what happened. Nobody could tell us what we just watched. And then I go on Rotten Tomatoes. It was an 85%. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way that movie should have had an 85%. It's still hovering around 80%. Uh, so that's where this topic, you know, originated from. Uh, so, but for my number five, is, uh, I went with Nightmare Before Christmas. I have, I, I am a huge Christmas person. Uh, I watch Christmas Vacation probably five, you know, five or six times throughout the year, not counting December. Uh, I, I'm a, you know, I, I love Christmas movies. This is one of those movies I never watched as a kid. I've had people tell me like, oh, you got to watch Nightmare Before Christmas. I watched it last year with uh, you know as an adult, and I'm like, this is just not that good. It's kind of weird, kind of creepy, and just not that good of a movie. So Nightmare Before Christmas, seen as a, a you know a cult classic, one of Tim Burton's best. Uh, not a fan. Yeah, I think it's a good way to start. I mean, honestly, I could probably put any Tim Burton movie on here. It feels like <laughs> people love them. I just none of them have really appealed to me. I don't have any on my list, but uh, I mean, this is a good one because I know so many people love it. And it's like, is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Halloween movie? It's not really good at being either. So. <laughs> All right. So for my number five, I went with another movie. Well, a movie that also came out this year. Will will talk about his later at number one but mine is elvis uh, i saw this in theaters about a month ago and so i've seen a couple movies this summer in theaters uh during the summer one was top gun which i really enjoyed but the other one was elvis and i i, I didn't i really did not care for it and i'm looking at the ratings on imdb that's the site i use more than ron tomatoes or i lean on more and it got in the high sevens uh 7.7 .7 out of 10 stars like i really thought I thought the Austin Butler, the guy who played Elvis, I thought he was the best part of the movie. I think he really did uh, his character, or Elvis Presley, justice for his role. I thought he was excellent in his role. But other than that, I I thought the movie was just just so all over the place. I didn't know where it was going. And the the pace of the movie was just way too quick. And, uh, I, and so Corey and I, we did a top five recently of top five favorite Tom Hanks roles. I got to say, if we did a top five least favorite Tom Hanks roles, I would put, I think I'd put number one, uh, the Colonel uh, in Elvis. He he was, he was just goofy. The fat suit he was wearing was just goofy. And the movie is called Elvis, but they focused way too much on his character, Tom Hanks's character, where it's like, this movie really should be called Elvis and the Colonel. And I found his character to be 
again, his fat suit was goofy, and I thought his character was super annoying. Which, granted, yeah, he was a bad person, so that's part of the reason why he was annoying, but... And also, just being a big Tom Hanks fan and him being really an antagonist in this movie was... I, I didn't care. I didn't care for Elvis like others. And the only so, thing I really liked about it was the guy who played Elvis. Two comments to that. One, you said it went way too fast paced. It was a two and a half hour movie. I know, what but the you, beginning, the first like the first like hour <laughs> and like the first hour and like fifteen minutes, it was all over the place. I was debating like I don't want to say leaving, but I was kind of checked out. Like what? <laughs> the the second I will say the second half of the movie is where it slows down and it's better. The second half is better than the first half of me, but the first half is just like, God, I don't know where this movie's going. Uh, so I didn't. I also had, I had said this to Corey when I was reading your list before when I saw this on on there. I think El- so. You know, ranking some of those. Some they've been doing that. Hollywood's been doing this a lot lately. They've been making these, uh, you know, like reenactment movies of uh, you know famous you know famous music musicians. Biopics, like, yeah, yeah, the music biopics. Uh, so. You know, it's it's nowhere near the the level of Elvis is nowhere near the level of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody or Rocket Man. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> I would say it's I would say it's more along the lines of like uh, uh, Walk the Line, if you will. Uh, Brian, I don't know if you. I've seen Walk the Walk, the, the, line. walk was, the Line. I liked a lot. I, I think I think I put you know my, my wife and I both said Elvis fell in line with uh, with Walk the Line. It was, uh, you know, a little bit more on the slow side, kind of tried to show more of the, the troubles Elvis dealt with. So, you know, I know you're entitled to your own opinion. If people are listening to this and, you know, listen to your, your opinion and say, oh, I'm not going to go see Elvis now. Elvis was a pretty good movie. I agree with you. It was, I, in my opinion, it was far too long. Should have shaved off a healthy 45 minutes from it. Uh, Colonel, a little bit goofy, but overall I thought it was a, you know, Good movie telling this telling the story of Elvis that I I never. Did. One movie I thought about putting on my list that you just mentioned, but I didn't think it was high, as highly rated as Elvis. I hated Rocket Man. I was not a fan of that movie. I loved. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry to offend you, but I, I don't, part of it's just because I don't like musicals. But I I was I'm I'm a big not big but no I I, I am a big Elton John fan. I liked a lot of his music. Uh, Your song and Rocket Man are two of my favorite. Two of my favorite Elton John songs, and Tiny Dancer is also good. But yeah, I I just I really enjoyed Bohemian Rhapsody, and because of that, uh, Rocket Man was coming out a year later. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be just as good as as Bohemian Rhapsody. I didn't have the same feelings as I did to Bohemian Rhapsody as I did with Rocket Man the movies. And so, so we'll just agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, the the Dolphins Patriots thing all over again. I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I know. Will did mention that to me. I was like, yes, I can't wait for this little debate to happen. <laughs> I can't wait till ne- um, I can't wait till next year when we have the exact same bracket again too. <laughs> Brian Rocket Man is seven point three on IMDb and eighty nine percent on. Oh, I should have put. I should have. It could have been on your list. It could have been on. I should have switched it then. I blew it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so my number five is, in some ways, a movie that came out this year. Uh, I'm really focusing on the original one, but the fact that it has a trilogy blows my mind. And that is Jurassic World, Jurassic Park, excellent film series that we got back in the 90s the jurassic world with chris pratt and everyone else like it it just does not compare and it's the seventh highest grossing film of all time it's only like a 73 percent on rotten tomatoes compared to jurassic park which i think is like lower 90s the original they just came out with a third one jurassic world dominion earlier this summer 
I'm just not a fan of these at all. I'm way past my love of dinosaurs, and I just don't think these are great movies. I haven't seen either of the sequels because I didn't enjoy this first one. My favorite part of the original Jurassic World was Jimmy Buffett having a cameo double-fisting margaritas when a dinosaur is attacking. So that should tell you all you need to know. This was a summer 2015 where I saw a bunch of movies, combination of blockbusters and just regular you know movies that got released in the summer jurassic world was number five out of five for me and um obviously it has some kind of staying power if they're keeping making more movies i don't know if it's finally done after dominion but i'm not a not a fan of jurassic world and uh yeah so Corey, that that one i you know so to to your credit jurassic world dominion uh, that's in my top five worst movies of all time, but it's not going to really? come on this okay. list because it was, everybody agreed that it was awful. <laughs> yeah. uh, that movie was solely, look what we can do with CGI. That was, there was, there was no start, middle and end. It was dinosaur, dinosaur, dinosaur. There were five <laughs> different antagonists, no one worse than the other. It, it was such a bad movie that they didn't know what direction or who they, like, they didn't want to, they didn't want to like, actually just say we have a bad guy so it, it, it was just such a the, the latest one was horrific so i disagree with you on jurassic world thought you know that I, again you know this is the majority of people love it but you don't so you know you're entitled to your own opinion but trust me if you didn't like the first one you're certainly not gonna like the next two <laughs> i wa- okay that's good i know. watched jurassic world in theaters with multiple people including Corey, and yeah i thought it was okay i, I didn't i didn't enjoyed it to an extent but but i wasn't interested in seeing the sequels and now now i'm really not interested in seeing the sequels <laughs> yeah i will say this topic is just designed to make enemies because we're just throwing out hot take after hot take <laughs> uh but anyway let's let's keep it going with your number four all right so my number four uh this is another one that i had never seen as you know i might have saw it once or twice as a kid but just not anywhere near a movie that I, I consider, you know, after after watching it as an adult, nowhere do I consider this. I, I don't think I made it through 30 minutes of this movie. Aladdin. Uh, <laughs> I, my, again, I, I sat down. We'll try. I love kids' movies, like, just to be clear. One of the one thing that I'm very excited about of uh, becoming a father is being able to watch more kids' movies. Uh, with that said, the first three on my list are kids' movies, and I just, you know, I, I feel bad putting them on there, but there are three movies that are critically acclaimed that I think are absolute trash. Aladdin's one of them. Just, I, 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 I turned it off after 30 minutes. <laughs> and, and I'm not talking about Will Smith is the genie, I'm talking about Robin Williams is the genie. Yes, yeah, uh, which, which it, hurts it, to hear. It, it was. Love Robin Williams for all he's worth. That wasn't one of my favorite roles of him. Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess I don't even have a, have a problem with his role. I just don't like the movie in general. Uh, it's just one of those that I'm, you know, that everybody touts as, you know, in, in Disney's top five, top ten. I have them in my bottom five, bottom ten. <laughs> they are my number five on the uh, the Disney podcast uh, top five we did with Kenny Cashman back in late November, and um, I. I could have put it even higher. To me, it's my favorite of the Disney Renaissance era. I love Aladdin. I love Robin Williams as a genie. I think it's just a great story. Very well done. Very entertaining. Very funny. And uh, again, I'm glad that we have I'm, movies on here that I'm, you don't like, but the general public does. So. <laughs> I'm glad I'm now the guy that can sit back and, and watch uh, <laughs> watch an argument now. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, Aladdin for me, I'm in the middle. Where I was like, yeah, I was okay, and 
So, Bill, you didn't you didn't enjoy the I can show you the world. No, you didn't. Enjoy- oh, I, I love the Disney soundtracks. That one comes on as immediate skip. I cannot <laughs> wow. skip that song fast no. enough. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So for my number four, I'm about to make an enemy with one of you guys. But it's not you, Will. It's Corey. Because my- I mean, no, you will make an enemy with a lot of our listeners that are okay. older. Let well, me say that. If any list, anyone's listening over 50 and enjoys comedy films, you're not going to be a fan Okay, well, because my number four is a overrated golf movie, and that is Caddyshack. I don't really understand the appeal of this movie. I think it's the most overrated. Speaking of lists, I would rate this as number one most overrated sports movie, and I... I like Bill Murray. I will watch Groundhog Day anytime it's on. Uh, I like Chevy Chase. Uh, I really enjoyed National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. That's a great movie. But this movie did not care for, and the, the stupid dancing gopher. And I, I didn't. I don't understand the comedy of that movie. And I think there are so many, so many other golf movies that are so much better than Caddyshack, greatest game ever played, starring Shia LaBeouf. That's an excellent golf movie. And then Tin Cup, another great golf movie with Kevin, starring Kevin Costner. And then I know Caddyshack is more of a comedy compared to those two movies, but Happy Gilmore, I will take uh, every, every 100 times out of 100 over Caddyshack. I, I, I just, I watched it once. I'll probably never watch it again. <laughs> Caddyshack is definitely a classic. I enjoy it. Um, my parents, their friends, like so many people around me all loved it growing up. I don't know if I had the same kind of feelings as they did when I watched it. I enjoyed it. I'm not super offended by this. I just think that movies from the late 70s, early 80s, especially comedy films, they're kind of hit or miss. I've seen plenty that I love. I think Animal House is a hilarious movie. Big fan of that one. But to me, yeah, I mean, Caddyshack is, yeah. I like Bill Murray's character in it. I, I'll say that. I think that he does a really good job. And he was someone who wasn't really supposed to have a big role. Him and Chevy Chase weren't fond of each other. But Bill Murray was so good that they just kept adding more scenes for him. So anyway. Um, <laughs> so my number four is also a sports movie. And I, I really wanted to put a sports film on this list. And the one that I decided to go with is remember the Titans. And this is a movie that I'm not saying is bad. I enjoy it. I think it's a good movie. I think that people way overhype it for whatever reason. This is the movie that everyone always wants to throw out there, especially like best football movie, whatever. One of the greatest sports films. I think it's good. I've never really loved it. I mean, the, the big dramatic climax scene is like historically inaccurate. I mean, it was what a game that was in the regular season and they've tried to make it the championship game. There's some good characters. It's a great story. You know, I'm not going to downplay that aspect of it. It's just not my favorite. And I know that a lot of people love this movie. I would just never really consider putting up there in my like list of greatest sports films. This is one of those movies that, you know, I, 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 it could have easily, if we were doing our top five movies all the time, this one probably would have, <laughs> you know, fallen into my top five. This, I watched this movie and I'm ready to run through a brick wall. Like, I, I get hyped during this movie. This is such a good movie. We are the Titans, <laughs> the mighty, mighty Titans, the mighty, mighty Titans. <laughs> Just the, the, I mean, the, the overall message of the movie, if you, if you say it's no, you know, it's not a, it's not a football movie. The overall message of like you know like sunshine coming to uh, like going out to eat with them and 
uh, you know, he, he goes out with like the, uh, he goes out with some of the, some of the, uh, the African-American the teammates. Players. Yeah. And, and they're, you know, they're not allowed in the restaurant. He's like, well, guys, I don't get the big deal. Like, cause he hadn't been exposed to that. And it's, you know, it, I think it's such a, a, a period piece. It's such a great historical movie. You know, if you, if yes, you want to say, it's I agree not, with that. if you want to say it's not, you know, it's not a, you know, all time sports movie, take out sports from it. I think just all like the, the actual scenes in it are, so good the the you know it, it was that that's just on my list of it could be any given you know any given day if i turn if i'm channel surfing and i see that's 45 minutes an hour and a half into the movie i'm still turning it on because it's still that, that's just one that i could park it on any single day and enjoy you know enjoy the entirety of the movie when i saw that cory put we are uh we are i almost said we are the titans <laughs> remember <laughs> the titans uh, on his list i thought he was for sure going to bring up the time when it was Christmas season, and I got a bunch of Christmas presents for everybody, and we were playing poker as well. I don't know if I remember that exactly perfectly, but I remember yeah. uh, when we were at a friend of ours uh, apartments or girlfriend's apartment. Uh, we we were playing, we were hanging out, playing cards, but I was on the couch by myself, and I was looking through Netflix, and I decided of all the movies, I'm going to watch. Remember the Titans, <laughs> and so uh, I'm on uh, I'm on Will's side when it comes to that movie. Obviously, yeah, uh, I don't even remember that. Like that's how like not of a big deal it is for me when Remember the Titans goes on. Uh, so to continue this moving, uh, you, you'll notice kind of a theme between all five of my well, you know, there are groups of my movies. Uh, number three is Wally, um, and oddly enough, I saw. <laughs> Actually, think about it. I'm pretty sure I saw Wally, which opened for The Hangover One uh, at the Milford Drive-In Theater. Uh, very odd one-two yeah. combination. If I, I want to say it was the Milford Drive-In, uh, Milford New Hampshire Drive-In Theater that I saw Wally at. Is there any other drive-in? Um, I think it was. I saw it at the drive-in. I'm, I'm going <laughs> okay. with that. I saw it at the drive-in. But anywho, gotcha. that's one of those movies that not a damn thing happens through the first hour and twenty minutes of the movie. And then finally you see that there's just a bunch of fat people on a ship and that's the movie. Sorry, spoiler <laughs> alert guys probably should have led with that, but that's one of those movies that a friend of mine recently was like, Oh, that's an all time Disney movie for me. And I looked at them and I was like, are you kidding me? That was easily the worst, one of the movie, worst movies of all time. And it was, I, I remember watching that thinking to myself, not a single thing has happened. There's just a robot walking around going beep, boop, beep, boop. That's it. There's nothing that happens in that movie, and it's like regarded as one of Pixar's greatest. And I get it; we're heading that way with our, you know, with society. Blah 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 blah. Terrible movie, awful. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of uh, movies on our top five lists, I put Wally on my top five Pixar list, and I don't regret it. I enjoyed Wally. I get it; the uh, people don't enjoy it because there's not enough dialogue. But I think Wally is such a sweetheart. I I did enjoy the. the the connection that he had with Eva and I, and also, yeah, there's also a human element to it where, yeah, I, I talked about when we did the top five for this, I mentioned how I think at some point our planet hundreds of years later, maybe thousands of years later, that it'll be just like what it is uh, in Wally in the very beginning where everyone is gone and everyone's on an, 
on a ship in space and everyone's fat. <laughs> so I, I hated Wally for the same reasons. I don't know if hate is the right word, but I did not enjoy it's it. The it right it's word not in my favorite Pixar <laughs> films. Um, I actually, so have you heard of a like Jackbox games? You ever played that like on your cell phone or like on the TV? So it's, it's just a, like a big party game for the most part. And there was like a prompt where it was like worse robot, something along those lines. And I was like, I don't know how everyone else is going to feel, but I'm going to put Wally and actually won the prompt. So I felt pretty, pretty good about that one. So, um, yeah. Brian, you know, you, you brought it up earlier. I didn't even, you know, I, I knew Wally was seen as a, a popular movie. Uh, it's 8.4 uh, out of 10 on IMDb and 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is gross. And that, that is, that is, uh, that, that's just disrespectful by Rotten Tomatoes and just, uh, throws their entire scoring system out the window in my opinion <laughs> uh i wish there was a fourth person so we could do two on two because because <laughs> i think i think most movies we've done it's been a clear two on one or yes, or, or at least a one on one where i hate this movie <laughs> i love this movie but it doesn't feel uh-huh. good being the the one uh versus the two because <laughs> i feel like i just feel crushed like oh well i like this movie <laughs> how come you guys don't like um this will probably be the case for this next movie because I know a lot of people love this movie and thinks it's hysterical. And I, so Will, you talked about how Aladdin, you didn't get, you got like a half hour in and you stopped. Well, when it comes to Borat, I watched for probably half hour, 45 minutes, and then I tuned out. I thought this movie was very, very cringy and really not, I, I didn't think it was very funny. I, I, a lot of people think it's one of the funniest movies ever. I didn't find it funny whatsoever. And I, I think I was really racist of a movie too. And uh, I think the only part I enjoyed was the part where he's like singing the national anthem and he's like, Kazakhstan's the best country in the world, something like that. And so that part was kind of, all the other countries are run by little girls. Yeah, <laughs> That part is kind of amusing to me. But other than that, I, I hated it. <laughs> so, and Brian, I, I think I think the thing you need to consider in appreciating that movie mm-hmm. is all those scenes in it are actual scene. Like those aren't like just you know like right. th- those aren't just it's not just acting going back and forth. Right. He actually went into those places and did that stuff. So like you know the the uh, some of the, the the women's groups that he met with, as offensive as some of the stuff was that he said, they were like you know reacting to it as they were like it was real exactly and that that i think is the the beauty of that movie is the 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 comedy of it is that it was uh, you know he goes down to texas and sings the kazakhstan national anthem uh in like the texas rodeo boos him out of there and he like him and the uh, director have to literally run out of there the rodeo that that movie is yeah i understand what you're saying totally not acceptable for today's times however one of those movies that i think you know i i think is a is a spectacular film. yeah i find it cringeworthy and give me wally over <laughs> borat any day of the week <laughs> i like borat i don't love it i mean i can go either way on this i i get it's it's a concept that's not for everybody but uh yeah i mean i i appreciate it i didn't see the sequel my family watched it without me they all hated it and i just never gave it a shot but i, yeah. I do kind of want to at some point well, it wasn't wasn't terrible if you if you like the first one you might you know you have a couple mm-hmm. drinks and you might enjoy the second exactly one. <laughs> it seems like a movie you got to be like you know in some store sort of state of mind to enjoy yeah yeah uh, so my number three it's kind of a going back to what you were talking about jurassic world dominion it's just cgi 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 look what we can do it's avatar 
And this is a movie that in 2009, I think it was easy to love just because it was so beautifully done. Like it was just amazing to watch in a movie theater. There's no reason to watch Avatar anymore and just your living room TV. It doesn't hold up. Why is uh, James Cameron making like not one, not two, not three, not four, just like all these sequels for it, like all these lined up? Like, what are we doing here? Is it really going to be that much better now? Do we, you know, is the technology that much more improved that this movie that just has this boring, basic, overused plot is going to be like worth all of these different iterations of it moving forward? Um, this is a kind of movie where part of me felt like I should put it even higher. I think at this point, a lot of people kind of have similar thoughts on it, that it's kind of, I don't want to say it's aged poorly, but it's just, it hasn't aged uh, in the way that it was when it was the highest grossing film of all time and still is. So to me, Avatar is a kind of film that even then, like it was, it was okay. You know, if you just wanted to watch, uh, you know, like an aquarium or something else just for a long time. That's basically what it was just in a movie form. But now it's just, it doesn't hold up in that same way when you're just watching it in your living room. And I don't know, maybe everyone's going to go see avatar two now. Cause it's been 13, 14 years, whatever, by the time it comes out. But I just, yeah. there, there talks about not, how there talks about how this movie is going to be almost four hours long too, <laughs> which is just yeah, absurd. Right. I know we were talking about, it. he's like, yeah, go to the bathroom. Like, yeah, because you're not going to miss anything. So. <laughs> so, Corey, when I first saw this on your list, I was kind of like, ah, that's what I'm going to fight. You know, the more yeah. you talk about it, the more, you know, the, the way you describe that, definitely agree. It, it's a, you know, it, at the time it was visually spectacular seeing it yes. in IMAX. Like that was the only way to see it. You couldn't see it any other way except IMAX. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in hindsight, it was just that it was a, you know, the, the CGI to this day holds up the CGI. To yes. Play, no, I, I agree with, such a good job with that. Uh-huh. However, I agree with you. It wasn't that good of a movie. Uh, it was, it was an overdone storyline. The only thing that made it spectacular was the, the, the idea of this is the, like, look at this spectacular image that we can CGI. And the yeah. fact that one, there's now a Disney ride about it at Disney. That is like one of their most advertised like rides. I don't even know what it's called. I just know that you get on the back of one of the Comanches and uh, you know, it's basically like soaring. Uh, the fact that they doubled down and made a ride off it. And then, as you pointed out, doubled down and decided, let's make six movies every two years for the next you know, 12 <laughs> uh, years. What are you doing, guys? Like, it, was a good, it was a good one hit wonder. Like you don't need. Yep. I, I am. I, I am. I, I could I could die today not knowing what happens to the uh, you know what happens to the blue people's planet. I don't know. I, I thought we had a pretty good thing, you know, pretty good understanding that they we're just going to coexist now. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I I was a fan of this movie, and I, and it's a very like you said beautifully done film in the of the backgrounds. And I'll admit, I'm probably I probably get too much caught up into that. And I I did think the the storyline was good though with the the connection between uh, Jake Sully and, uh, and Katiri. Uh, But at the same time, I'm not going to be defensive about like, Oh, how can you not like this movie? Like, no, it is a little overrated. I, I kind of agree with that, but I, I did enjoy Avatar and I probably will see this. I'll, I'll very likely see the second one, but at the same time, I got to say, I think my attention span just gets worse and worse by the year. And finding out that it's almost a four hour movie. I just know that there's going to be a time in the movie where, like halfway through like is this over yet and then, and then it's like oh there's still two more hours to go and uh and my attention span will be elsewhere and so 
I will. I I will. Even though I'll watch it, I am worried about the length a little. <laughs> yeah, Brian, when you say it's four out, like you know, even even if it's three hours, even if, you know, if it's three and a half hours, that's just that's just irresponsible. Like there's, you're telling me that there is nothing you can trim out of the movie. You're coming out with two for the next ten years. You know, two. You're coming out with a you know a new one every two years for the next ten years, and you're gonna make the second one be four hours long. You can't save any of that for any of the other twelve movies you're planning. Come on, irresponsible. It's probably just ego, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my next one on this list, you know, as as we continue on this list, my next one kind of kicks off my final theme, uh, and I'm gonna save my overall take until the you know we get to my number one. But my number two movie is Us. When Us came out, it was the sequel to uh, Get Out. Jordan Peele, unbelievably good movie. If you guys have, if you guys haven't seen Get Out, very much recommend it. One of my top horror movies of all time. Uh, Us came out, and if you know spoilers here, so you know, you know, mute the you know the next probably five minutes of me talking if you know, if it takes that long. But uh, Us came out, and basically the premise of it is a little girl like there's people that live underneath us. Uh, it, you know, there's like your doppelganger that lives underneath us. And a little girl like found the portal to like the, the portal that brings you to the un, you know the underground, and uh, her doppelganger swapped places with her when she was a child, and she grew up in the you know the underworld uh, when and then her doppelganger got to grow up up here. The problem with it is the portal to the you know between the two sides is an escalator. So the the whole premise of this movie is that the the little girl gets taken and brought down to the underworld and can't get back up until like the you know later on 30 years down the line when the all, the whole underworld revolts. And my problem with it is all right, the little girl was brought down there. Why didn't she just walk up the escalator? Movie over. It, it's it's to me this is as big of a it's as big of a plot hole as why did the death star have a sink have a port that you could shoot down that blows up the entire effing ship? It's it, it's such a gross overlook. Of a, of a plot and I get it. it's a horror movie there's an under you know there's an underground world don't look you know don't look that deep into the movie I get that it's you know like I'm not gonna say it's unrealistic but it's one of those movies of this movie I think has like a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes but it, it has such a gross overlook as a writer you can't just say oh don't you know don't pay attention to that like you know don't worry she just stayed down there for 30 years while she plotted her revenge no she could have walked up the damn escalator and finished the movie I don't know. That's one of those movies. Us is one of those movies that, like, you know, I, people talk about how glorious it is for its hidden messages and whatnot. But in reality, it just has a it has one of the biggest plot holes in Hollywood history to me. OK, yeah, I mean, I it feels like this is just trying to fit a, a theme in some way. But uh, oh, no. I, I do understand the concept. I think that um, there is a clear hierarchy in terms of Jordan Peele movies that starts with Get Out and yeah, I get it. They're not all 100% rotten tomatoes. And to be clear, this this was my take when I left the theater after seeing that movie. I you know my my take on this has never changed, and I you know I I, I very much do not like I uh, very much do not like us for that aspect because again I'm I'm pretty easy to you know, I'm pretty easy to make someone like you know make me like a movie. Just give me a just don't don't leave a massive plot hole. Don't leave a don't leave a massive like <laughs> wait why couldn't that movie not have happened. That's fair. So for my number two, it's not one movie. It's actually an entire franchise of movie and movies. And I already see Will shaking his head, so this is a lot to be good. <laughs> and I have never been a Star Wars guy. I've seen I've seen I think two, maybe three episodes, and I 
I think part of it is you have to get into it as a kid. That's just me personally, my opinion, because I watched the first. I don't even know which ones I watched. Uh, order i watched because i because it goes in a random order of like it goes from like four to yeah, five like four to six, five, six you know one, one two, two three, three and it's like yeah and um, i i've never been into like movies that are fantasy or just not yeah, sci-fi. sci-fi or there's some sci-fi movies yeah. i like but definitely not a lot and i've never been a star wars guy and there i'm probably anyone that's listening i'm probably pissing off a lot of people because there are a lot of star wars fans but I I I feel so uninformed or uneducated when people say, "Hey, remember that Star Wars episode when this guy fought this guy and this and this happened?" Like I just I feel I felt so lost the the couple episodes that I watched and I and I just never cared for I never cared for Star Wars ever. And so I I, I do believe that if if you never got into it as a kid that you're not going to get into it. I mean, well, I know Kenny has talked about how he didn't get into Star Wars until much uh until like in his teens or twenties or whatever, but he's probably an outlier. Cause I don't, cause I think you have to join as a kid or else you're not going to enjoy it ever. So you pointed, you, you said this for those who can't see me cause it's a podcast. Uh, I was shaking my head. Uh, <laughs> and the reason I shake my head is because you wrote down star Wars franchise. If you would have said the prequels and the sequels, all right, I'm going to say, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, you know, they, they, they were, you know, they take them, take them or leave them. But the, if you, if you understand the fact that the first movie came out in 1971, coming off the heels of uh, the fact... 77, I believe. What was it? 70? I think it was 77. I guess I'm a critic to old movies then. <laughs> Anywho. 78 maybe. So yeah. you know, you're coming off the heels of Hollywood, you know, Hollywood's peak of Western movies, you know, all the, the Bush Cassidy's and, you know, whatnot. You know, Hollywood was just all about uh, Westerns for the longest time, like, you know, settling the West. This was the kind of the first really, you know, real example of, uh, you know, the, the, the outer space Western, it, you know, and it, it, was, it was basically a Hollywood, Hollywood took a step back and said, all right, we've dried up every possible idea of the, of, of a Western. What about a Western in space? And, you know, we talk about how Avatar was, you know, ahead of its time. Star Wars, like it is, was light years ahead of its time. And that, you know, if, if you look at it now, the, you know, if you, if you show a, you know, a young kid now start, you know, the, the, the Star Wars episode four, they're going to look at it and they're going to be like, oh, that was a junk. Maybe, you know, and that, maybe that's that, unfair that's, that I didn't watch until recently, several months ago in my twenties and in and, and 2022 and not back in 19, the 1970s or eighties. When the, the CGI doesn't hold up to this day, you know, Avatar does hold up. Star Wars doesn't just wasn't the technology, but for the technology they had at the time, that was groundbreaking. And, you know, I, to for you to put the entire Star Wars franchise, that's where I think it's a you know, that's where I think it's negligent, because I, you know, I think you've got to appreciate the three movies for when they came out and the fact that we don't have at the time there was not the space movies that existed. This was really one of Hollywood's first like branch offs into space travel and space you know the, the idea that imagine what could be out there within space so that's that's why i you, know, you mean kind of like head. wally <laughs> oh. <laughs> um yeah so okay uh anyway so 
So I guess the way that I approach this was not necessarily that if I, these are movies that I hate, I can't watch, I don't enjoy. And I think I kind of have a little bit of all over the place in terms of movies that I just don't like as much as everybody else. And my number two definitely falls in that category. And that is The Lion King. We did our top five Disney movies. I didn't put it on mine. I talked about it then. And it's like, look, I appreciate it for what it is. It's not my favorite anywhere close to it i think a lot of people like it's instinctively like oh best disney movie ever i i don't know i'm just not a huge fan i was never a fan of simba the character i thought the music was okay i you know it's there's some good songs in it but the soundtrack overall is not the best i don't think that the movie itself is the best i don't know if it's just gone through so many iterations broadway play remake all this stuff is just all over the place but I'm just, I don't have the same feelings about Lion King as most other people do. I love Aladdin. I think that's a great Disney film. I think there are a lot of great Disney movies from that 90s era. And I don't know, Lion King's just kind of middle of the pack for me when it comes down to it. And I know that it's it's certainly a popular movie and it feels blasphemous for a lot of people for me to put this on this type of list. But the reality is it's just not nowhere close to my top of the favorites and i have this at number two because i think it is a very popular movie very highly rated and that's kind of the way i ordered mine kind of use uh using things like your your rotten tomatoes your imdbs all those different metrics and uh it's not that i hate this movie or anything it's just not not my favorite and for a lot of people it's theirs Corey, you know, it's, it's funny. I, as, as I was making my list yesterday, I, I was talking about it with my wife and uh, when we were, we were going camping a few weeks ago, we, as you were driving there, you know, your typical conversations in the car, we were just kind of coming up with things to talk about. One of which was uh, rank your top 10 Disney movies. And we, you know, as we were kind of, you know, like just, as we were driving, we were just like naming movies saying like, would this be in your top 10 or not? And Lion mm-hmm. King was brought up and to which I had said, I put it this way. I would rank Lion King as a top 10 movie of disney but it's not in my top 10 because yes, i, I wish i think agree, i agree with that i, I yeah. completely agree with everything you said that you know and truly it was i was going to put it on my list but my wife said that i'd get too much backlash and that it's uh <laughs> too too you know, all right too, i'll take i'll take the backlash it, it, it's seen as too too uh too good of a movie i agree with you the soundtrack's just not there the the overall like movie isn't that great it's you know i mean it's i guess it's basic it's easy for a kid to follow but also a little too dark for a kid to follow yes uh, oh absolutely you know it's, it's it's one of those that like it, it you know i just don't i just don't see that as a as a you know i i agree with you it's just not in there of uh you know i probably wouldn't put it in my top you know i probably wouldn't put it in my top 10 disney personally not saying that it's not a top 10 disney uh you know because I, I i appreciate it for you know that you know what what other people like but not me not, not my cup of tea i'm a big fan of uh like this is their best song but this is my favorite song same kind of concept this yeah. is you know their best movie this is my favorite movie or this is one of their better movies it's not one of my favorites man what a diss so. to it means no worries for the rest of our days <laughs> hakuna, hakuna matata, matata. <laughs> so again like i had to go hakuna matata great song timon and pumbaa great side characters and that's kind of where my love for lion king mm-hmm. ends what was it lion king like one and three quarters where it's just like Shimon, <laughs> Shimon, Shimon, just, uh, yeah one and two thirds like yeah <laughs> 2.6 repeating <laughs> i like i like the i like lion king more than aladdin uh, and well will definitely hates aladdin but i, I was fine with aladdin but I, I was i was a fan of the lion king and I will say though, uh, I've told this to Corey in the past that I went to when I went to New York City one time uh, and saw Broadway. 
one of the plays, one of the Broadway plays I watched was Lion King. I hated the Broadway. I li- I'm not joking. I fell asleep in the in, in the Broadway show of Lion King. If, yeah, I feel like you remember you mentioning yeah, that. Uh, so. It was it was the Broadway play. I would not recommend whatsoever, especially the prices. And, but the movie I enjoyed. The soundtrack I enjoyed more than you guys. And it is a little. I will say though, I do kind of agree. The it is a little dark uh, of a for a kids movie. Like of what happens to to Simba or 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 his death. It's like yeah. traditional Disney dark, like from like the forties, fifties, sixties. It's it's I think it's kinda unique. But at, at the same time, there are plenty of movies where like parents die in them. But this one, I don't know. It is it's a little darker. It feels darker. So. And then the seat the there was also a Lion King movie that came out a few years ago that was not it's not cartoon like the yeah, CGI yeah. version of Lion King. Yeah, like real life. Yeah, and that uh-huh. I I don't think there's really uh I wouldn't recommend that one to, to anyone really. Yeah, I mean I I didn't even see it. It seemed like a star studded cast. But... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, All right, take us home with your number hey, one. Hey, so here we are. My number one and this is going to kind of end, end off the uh you know, you're going to catch the theme here. Uh, my number one uh, movie that I, uh, the public loves that I hate. Nope. It's, a, it's uh, Jordan Peele's latest uh, latest flick. And the second I saw the trailer, I'm like, Jordan Peele movie, let's go. I'm in. Jordan Peele right now is a one-hit wonder. Nope was a, the, a movie that we all watched at the drive-ins. I stood up, looked around at all my friends, and I said, what the F did I just watch? And not a single person of eight of us could tell me this is that was what that movie was about. It was, you know, it, it, it was truly like they, they antagonized like a bad guy. And then you know, like they, they antagonized like there's this bad thing that's going to happen. And then like you find out the gloopy gloop. It's just this gloopy gloop. All I'm going to say. And it was so, like, and then the movie ends. There's no like, you know, happy story that you know the happy story that ends it. It just ends, and it's one of those movies. Right now, it's on you know it's it's on Rotten Tomatoes with I believe like an eighty at, at the time it was an eighty five. I want to say now it's down to an eighty two. That movie should have a healthy three, uh, you know, three percent out of a hundred. It was so offensively bad that people you know one are continuing to say oh it's a Jordan Peele movie so let me give it a good rating because all these subtle hidden messages and you know this that and the other thing it's not a good movie and jordan peele you need to do better because as of now you are one for three you come up with one more movie and uh you are batting 250 and you are jackie bradley jr uh so uh you you come up with one more bad movie jordan peele and you are out you you are out of hollywood in my opinion i will see the next one solely to be my deciding factor he's either gonna go 50 50 or he's going to go one and four. And that's going to, that's going to be a big game changer in my opinion. And that right there is where the, uh, is where the idea for this topic came, uh, this top five came up was the fact that uh, Jordan Peele's latest movie was so offensively bad. As someone that is kind of the biggest Jackie Bradley Jr. hater there is, I'm not as motivated to watch (laughs) the Jordan Peele movies. Uh, now than I used to be. <laughs> uh, and I'll say the general public thinks that he's batting a thousand. So I think that's you know, a, that, it's a that's very a, good movie to kind of base this off of. 
you know, and that's the thing, Corey, is that, as you said, people people still view uh, Jordan Peele as the greatest horror director of all time. Because, you know, the, the, you know, it's like, oh, well, he came out with Get Out, then Us, then Nope. Us and Nope were terrible. It's, it is, it, I mean, Nope, you know, us, us was, you know, a halfway decent movie, but Nope was just playing bad. It was just playing dumb. And, uh, you know, I, I think at this point, he's relying too much on his audience, uh, you know, his, his, his group of goonies that jump on these websites and, you know, rate them out, you know, astronomically. Because if you go on the, if you go on the reviews, the, the positive reviews are like, oh, listen to all these subtle texts, you know, these subtle, like, hints within the movie. But then you look at the bad reviews and it's like, what the F did I watch? That's the reviews. I said, go on Rotten Tomatoes and you were going to find out that people wrote, I have no idea what I just watched. <laughs> I think the, 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 the best telling, mo- the most telling thing was that someone said, uh, it's in, you know, my reaction to the movie is in the name. Nope. <laughs> okay. The, nice. That's, that's a great review. I, I, <laughs> um, so he, he definitely uh, shot down someone who tried to say that he's the greatest of all time. His, to him, it's John Carpenter. So, uh, but yes, there are a lot of people who are already putting him up there for those few movies. I've not seen Nope. I, I mean, I, I'd only heard a couple of good reviews. I hadn't really looked into it. Um, my thought is I'll see it at some point, but that's, uh, that's, that's interesting to have this first, uh, negative review and that, that could certainly play a role in, um, you know, my eventual thoughts on this one. I've heard, I've now heard some mixed reviews on, on the two movies that Will just mentioned with Nope and Us, but not all i've seen all basically uh only positive stuff about get out so i'll probably so i haven't seen any of the three of course but i probably would see get out at some point just because that's probably the most positively uh uh rated movie of the three get out is just a mind trick that's a that's a movie that you know i keep i keep mentioning this my top five probably has 50 movies in it uh but (laughs) that's that's in my top five of horror movies like you know Uh like thrill thriller suspense movies uh, has comedy, has you know some like good jump scenes, has a like a lot of thinking to it, and he came you know he came out of the gate looking you know with all you know shine you know shining, and uh, you know now it's just kind of uh, all right we're you know just another another you know another you know uh, poorly done film in my opinion so I'll end it there. So for mine number one. It's gonna piss off Corey. I know that. <laughs> uh, I will say when filling out this top five, I, I did have a tough time picking five mo- five movies that I think are definitely the five because I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure two through five would be different. Like where if, if I'd add a movie or take out a movie or put rate one lower or higher, but number one was not uh, <laughs> that one was never uh, in question for me. Because Inglorious Bastards, directed by Quentin Tarantino, is one of the most overrated movies I've ever seen, and it's arguably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I I remember, so my dad is someone that's really into World War II movies, and around the time when Netflix became a a thing, like really started to get going, and was not just having movies uh, playing instantly, but also mailing movies. And so my dad and I, we shared a queue of movies and I knew my dad was, like I said, into World War II movies and I started getting in, into them as well, watching Saving Private Ryan and, and Kelly's Heroes and a few other uh, good World War II movies, Pearl Harbor and others. And and then all of a sudden I saw Inglorious Bastards and saw how 
great the ratings were and about from critics and the public and and it's like hey hey like hey dad i think we should watch this movie i think it'll be great and my dad knew uh before even watching he's like we're not gonna enjoy this movie at all and we we got it in the mail and we watched it and I, those are two and a half hours of my life i will never get back <laughs> I, th- I thought it was extremely extremely boring nowhere near as good as like i said saving private ryan or other great world war ii movies and the only thing I liked was that Diane Kruger is in it, who's a who is a national treasure, and she's a total smoke. But even she couldn't save this movie, and uh, it's it's honestly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I don't, I I truly don't understand. Like a History Channel World War Two doc, then I don't know. It, it's I think it. So you know what? I will say this: I have seen it on plenty of lists when i was trying to do my own research along with a ton of other quentin tarantino movies overall i'm not the biggest tarantino fan i think he has some hits he has some that i'm not a big fan of but i I enjoy inglorious bastards i don't love it i'm not going to put it up there with saving private ryan either but i don't know putting his number one on here just oh it's one of the worst movies i've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) no doubt about it Brian, I, I I do agree with you that it's a one, it's a slow movie. Two, it's a jump around movie. Like that, you know. I I think it's one of those movies I I haven't seen in a long time. So you know, if I, I maybe I'm wrong, you know, maybe I just don't. I'm not remembering it properly. But it was one of those movies that like throughout the first, I'd say, healthy two hours and fifteen minutes into the movie, I had no idea what was going on, and then the final fifteen, they like bring it home. It's like ah, okay, now I get the whole concept here. Uh, it it, it was. That was one of those movies that I, I think I'd agree with you. It's not, I wouldn't put it up there as like, a, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's it's seen as a one of, you know, it's Quentin Tarantino. I think it's kind of similar to what I was saying about Jordan Peele of like, oh, well, you gotta, you know, you gotta watch all the sudden, you know, the, the uh, subtle messages within it. I don't know. I just don't, I, I probably agree with you that it's one of those that like Quentin Tarantino, he's got some good, he's got some bad, uh, but he almost always gets the, you know, benefit of the doubt because he's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe this was, it was an Oscar, it, it didn't win Best Picture, but it was nominated for Best Picture, and I, I thought it was absurd, and yeah, I'm, I'm just not a Quentin Tarantino fan or a fan of his movies. There, there are some that I haven't seen that, again, are critically acclaimed and publicly rated very highly, but I, I, I did not enjoy this movie. It was, like you said, the, the most of the movie was super slow. And it's just it's just not my kind of movie. Okay, um, I mean that that's fair. Uh, I mean that is kind of the whole point of this list is that these are movies that the public loves and you don't. And I don't care if uh, Will already criticized this one and tried to talk you into liking it, but overall, Star Wars franchise as a whole, I'm just never gonna get into it. I'm never like I watched it a little bit as a kid. I've tried as an adult, and it just. I'm just not a fan of the the whole genre, of, you know, sci-fi, fantasy. I could have thrown out so many movies here, probably on a top five, just dedicated to all the nerd movies out there. <laughs> but I just specifically chose Star Wars because I can't have a conversation with similar people to me, seemingly without Star Wars somehow coming up. Like, oh, you, what are your thoughts on the new movie or the new Disney Plus show or whatever? It's just always, and just everyone assumes you're a Star Wars fan because who isn't one? And it's just not for me. It's just, it's never going to be. I'm just not, not a fan in general. I can appreciate any groundbreaking film. That doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy watching it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to watch literally everything that Lucasfilms puts out. 
you know, I'll go on a Star Wars ride at Disney and little things like that, and I'll find myself entertained. Overall, Star Wars just isn't for me, and it, it's just not going to be. You know, there's plenty of other action movies. There's plenty of other things that I can watch to get that kind of fix in. And uh, to me, there's no really just anything in general that belongs on my number one besides Star Wars as a whole. So what's your rebuttal now, Will? <laughs> so is it, correct me if I'm wrong. Gen X is between millennials and uh, boomers. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to speak for the Gen X generation out there, because I think they're the ones who are going to fall into this, like, you know, the the true Star Wars fans. Corey, you just said that, you know, the Star Wars franchise as a whole. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can, I don't think that you can say that you're not a fan of, you know, you can say you're not a fan of this, like, Star Wars, like, all the TV shows and the new, you know, the new movies and the other new movies that came out when we were kids. Yeah, which everyone hates. Like even Star Wars fans hate those. Yeah, yeah you know, so. the, the the prequels are, are you know they they are what they are. They're Star Wars. You know, there's lightsabers. There's you know twirling of you know jumping around and whatnot. It is what it is. But the the you know, I, I don't think you can just say the entire Star Wars franchise because they it has evolved so much. You know, the the movies that just came out now, I'd agree, aren't that good. They're reviewed very well. It's the exact same thing as episodes four, five, and six. It's the exact same thing, almost to a T, almost to the minute if you run those movies side by side. It's almost the exact same thing. Uh, so, you know, you, 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 I'd agree with you that, you know, some, you know, people, people who talk, you know, hype up all like the latest TV shows coming out on Disney Plus and whatnot. But for all the Gen Xers out there, I'll, 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 you know, who can't speak that might be listening to this, I'm going to speak for them. The three, the the first three movies, when I say the first three movies, episode four, five, and six, the first three movies do not deserve to be lumped in with the uh, all, all the you know all the spinoffs that are happening and the prequels and the sequels because the prequels were just poor uh, poor CGI and the sequels were well we don't know how to make a new movie these days so we're just going to do the exact same thing that worked originally so. I'm not going to disagree with you as by putting, you know, I, I, I'm just going to you know, request a uh, adjustment that you don't say the Star exclude Wars Exclude the original. Or exclude yeah, okay. the original three and then you can talk three. trash about the, you know, the rest. And I don't think I'm going to, you know, I, I okay. think. Okay, no, and that's fair. Understood. I'll take that. I I'll take that. No, like I said, I appreciate, you know, the the I'll work with you here idea of it you know that and that i think that's a fair way I to might need it. to give it Just a second chance now should have stopped it at that no should have stopped it at that how about that let's move on let's let's like other things so um so one thing i will say about brian's list uh didn't even think about it until we we're getting into this but where was goodfellas so i thought about it but i decided to leave it off because my I know it's kind of contradicting what I just said about like Star Wars and sci-fi fantasy uh, movies are not my thing. It, any mafia movie, like literally any of them, it, for whatever reason, I, I just I don't I don't have the emotional connection to the movie. Any really any sort of mafia movies, and so Goodfellas, yeah, I watched start to finish, and yeah, I I thought it was a little overrated, and I certainly could have put it on the list, but I thought it was unfair to put on the list if I'm not, if, if I don't appreciate those kind of movies like other people do, which again, is kind of, is kind of contradicting myself with, with, with yeah. Star Wars and other movies, but <laughs> uh, I thought it'd be unfair to put on the list, but I did think about it though. Yeah. Okay. No, and that, that's actually a good point. So, 
And there gotcha. were there were some scenes um, I enjoyed. It wasn't like I hated the movie. Just I just what's just not my thing. Yeah, and I think that this was a topic that you really could go a lot of different ways with it. And I felt like the easiest way to do it was uh, movies that I just don't rate as highly, but don't necessarily hate per se. Yeah, like I, I don't like know. at five, I put Elvis. I didn't hate it, but there were definitely things I didn't like about it. And I was I I watched mm-hmm. it recently, and and and, and I just realized like, oh wow, I could have easily put Rocket Man because I I I didn't I disliked that movie a lot more than Elvis. But just because of how recent I watched Elvis, I decided to put it at, at five uh, just to talk yes. about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that happens all the time with these lists. I think it was a very fun top five idea, probably one of the more contentious ones we've done, <laughs> which is just naturally going to be. And I um, I enjoyed it. I'm glad that a lot of our movies kind of led to discourse and that, you know, it really does kind of fit the bill of I don't like this, but everyone else does. So uh, that is definitely a, a fun topic. And you know, we appreciate you coming back on. Uh, a lot of fun talking about football with you, uh, like we did in March. And hopefully, we can uh, get you back on during the regular season. We'll we'll see if it's going to be good or bad. Patriots. Oh come talk, on, but, it's good? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Love you on after you play like the Jets. <laughs> I was going to say if you you know depending on when you you know if if I'm if I'm allowed back on in the future, yeah, you, uh-huh. you bring me on. Depending on when you bring me on in the season, you're either going to get a. Uh, you know, uh, angry Will or a uh, you know speaking Bill Belichick's praise because he's uh, playing checker uh, playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. <laughs> so uh, depending on how the season goes, you, you there's many different ways that uh, that that I could go as far as uh, you know what, what I'm going to bring to the pod uh, what I'm going to bring to the podcast next time I'm on. Absolutely. All right, we'll be uh, continuing this series. We got three more divisional previews to go. We can look forward to them each week coming up. So for our special guest host, Will Kalora, my regular guest host, Brian Wells, I'm Corinne Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>